Chase, it is time. Back, baby. Let's do it for the fans. Gotta give the people what they want. Oh, man. I'm for excited. the people, by the people. <laughs> that's Morgan and Morgan. People helping people. <laughs> yeah, that's Wedding Crashers. Oh. People helping people. That's <laughs> yeah. actually a great movie. I wish I wish Wedding Crashers was fantasy because I would like to do a little breakdown of that. That was one of my favorite kind of just spin-off movies. We can go into each of the <laughs> each of the maple syrup conglomerates. <laughs> every single like character they portrayed to be at every single different wedding and like what Put their a little backstory maple syrup is. In my hair. What do you think makes it hold up? <laughs> Slick. <laughs> yeah. Man, no, but I'm I'm glad to be back here again today, man. Uh, you know, if you guys are uh, following us along just on podcasts, we got some. Uh, New visuals for everyone yeah, to take a look do. at. You guys see some <clears throat> stuff over here? Well, uh, we've added our beautiful Iron Throne to the front. Today we've broken out our Night King. And then most importantly, in the back, Chase, talk a little bit about what you did there with those. Yeah, man. Well, uh, we definitely want you to understand what's going on on the show versus just kind of hearing about it. So <laughs> you can also see what we're seeing here for all our youtube viewers you can go on ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com check out the blog there you'll get all updates on uh factor fantasy and you'll be able to see what we're talking about but uh you know our favorite phrase is uh a little bit of malice in the chalice baby that's right baby get a little let's dilly go. dilly let's, let's do it for him let's go mm. Off to the pit of misery with you. Dude, and what's friend. really funny, guys, is that uh, obviously during this whole like quarantine thing, uh, the bars aren't open, right? So we went, <laughs> we went and just grabbed something from this like hole in the wall Mexican restaurant, and Chase is like, "Hey, do you guys do like margaritas to go?" And like, yeah, no one ever asks us, but we do, and so we decided to give those a little whirl today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you guys see some big old glasses here that look like plastic cup boys. Uh, that's that's our uh, Mexican mm. margarita, but. Yeah, Josh over here goes, yeah, man, no, we're not going to need the wine bottle. Yeah. Saw my glass. Yeah, we're going to need yep. the wine bottle. Saw, I saw it immediately. <laughs> I was like, all right, Josh Chase, bring it back out. <laughs> it's really funny because the girl at the Hispanic restaurant, she goes, yeah, the one thing people are going to miss is not being able to take drinks to go. When, when it comes all back, up. yep. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, you want to tell them what we got behind us? Yeah, man. So basically, guys, if you, if you kind of tuned in with us the past couple of episodes, you've heard us like throw some cards out and we kind of gotten some feedback that was kind of far away and hard to see from where we put the stuff so chase had an awesome idea of making a banner for each of the cards so you guys can kind of see what we're seeing in real time so that's why we got like the, the jumbo size banner on either side here um for the great debate and the malice and the chalice card um so and also like you were mentioning too uh, even if it's still difficult to see guys we actually have posted what those cards look like on our website and they're going to be in um, some links as well uh, coming up in the future here. Definitely check out the website because I've got to give myself a little bit of props on this one. Absolutely. You <laughs> yeah. did a great job, man. Yeah. Uh, what's cool is, you know, all these scenes we talk about on, like, the breakdown and stuff. If you really want to go actually re-see these scenes, like how Josh corrected me where it says <laughs> people think you're some kind of god. <laughs> I thought it was a ghost. <laughs> you can go see that on there. You can actually see. You can listen to us. And then you can also watch the scenes as well. So then you get to break it down with us. If you are more visual, there is even a tab with all our YouTube videos just in a row. But if you know you just like to listen at home while you're cleaning your house or something, you know, you can do that. And then also you can look on your phone or look on your smart TV and actually watch these clips that we break down as well. It's really cool because Chase has like one of those like Google Alexa plays 
and um, we actually were able to get her to, uh, you know, we, we tell her to play our our podcast and she does that so if you guys have that in your house just uh you know tell her to play you know us from apple podcast and depending on what you're doing and you can just jump in right there and then like i said if you need some of the visuals of what the cards look like or uh you know what we have here in the front for our display our, our centerpiece i like to call it uh you know we've, yeah we've got it all there but um or take notes ladies we're uh, <laughs> trying to get on the hallmark or channel. or give us notes one or two we're guys we don't really know what we're doing with the whole design and artistry yeah. stuff but um, like, take those banners down yeah right <laughs> yeah so you know let's let's kind of get into a little bit of where we left off last week and what we're going to be getting into a little bit uh today and going forward so i know that when we um left off last week a couple, a couple big things happened, right? So, obviously, Ramsey got the best of Osha. You know, she thought she was gonna sneak him, and he's right. like, "No, like I've been, I've been doing this. Like, you, like you don't know about me, right? You better ask about me, <laughs> right?" So, uh, uh, that happened. Also, Jon Snow re- received that big threatening letter from Ramsey, basically telling, "Hey, come at me, brother." And, and uh, <laughs> basically, and also that too, guys. Like, how I, I just find it really ironic that he just has to make it a point that Jon Snow's a bastard as if he's not himself. Like, it was just really funny there, but yeah. um, then the last thing we left off on, obviously, is uh, Daenerys over in Vast Dothrak. She actually ended up burning the tent down herself with herself in it to kill all the great cows. Comes out of there naked. Everything's burning all around her. They see that she can't be hurt by fire and she's like, hey, all you guys are with me now. And so the whole 100,000 strong horde of Dothraki all bowed to Daenerys. Bend the knee, baby. Yeah. And so now <laughs> she's, got, she's got the second sons, the Unsullied, and now 100,000 new Dothraki. And, uh, you know. Queen of nothing, millionth of your name, slave of Kalmoro. Until, yeah, until Kalmoro <laughs> went bye bye real quick. Exactly. So, <laughs> now we're going to jump in today. What we're going to do is we're going to tackle episodes uh, five, six, and seven. Um, for this third part here for season six, which is also again Dance of Dragons. <clears throat> this is when we're gonna get into some cool stuff, like yeah. the details of season six really, really break down. Honestly, these the next the, three episodes, these next three episodes are gonna be really, really detailed. And so, um, why don't we just kind of jump in a little bit, talk uh, about what kind of started off there first? I mean, I don't know what you have in your notes, bro, but for me, the first thing I I started taking away that's big to the plot line is Peter Baelish. He sends a note to Sansa. And she decides that she wants to meet him. Like, like, like she, like that's a that's a big thing too. It's like exactly like why would you, like she just all had that like and like happened to her between like how she got beaten, and abused, and raped by Ramsay like over and over again. And really, a big part of that is Peter Baelish's fault because he left her with the Boltons. And like basically, like no, like you know, like he had a decent plan. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. It just didn't turn out the way because he underestimated Ramsay. And so. Maybe that's why Sansa wanted to meet him to see if Baelish did this to her on purpose, or if you know, hey, maybe you're just not as smart as you think you are. And this is uh, actually a big quote here. <clears throat> you know, we're really diving in right here at the beginning because Sansa looks at Baelish and kind of really realizing the snake we've always known he was mm-hmm. all along, and she says, "You fed me to monsters who murdered my family. You gave me to other monsters." Who murdered my family and he starts to try to even use you know how he was gaining the power of the veil as almost a scapegoat at this point and let's break down that quote right so what she means by that so the very the first part you freed me from monsters who murdered my family meaning she Baelish freed her 
from Joffrey and Cersei and the Lannisters in King's Landing. So it's almost like he's like the, the playing field's like caught up now. Like she doesn't owe him anything at this point, right? You freed me from monsters that murdered my family, but then you fed me to monsters that murdered my family. So you didn't something you did me a really good solid here, bro, but you also screwed me over. So now like you know like I don't owe you anything. Like this is like we we are at a, a dead even here. <laughs> like that guy. <laughs> That tries to hook up with your girlfriend on the side, but acts like he's your friend. And then he finds out. It's like, no, nah, dude. It's yeah. off the table. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, friendships. Yeah. I owe uh, you nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what's kind of cool, too, is you kind of see, like, you know, Sansa's really starting to come into her own a little bit in the way she talks to Peter Baelish. Because she was kind of, like, always shy and let people kind of run over her and make the decisions. And she now that she's got Brienne, like, as her bodyguard and... She even says, you know, what if I want you to die here and now, what would you do? He's like, well, then I will die, right? So she's starting to, like, call the shots a little bit. Like, you know, she's starting to get that, like, I'm the shot caller here, man. And so I found that really, really interesting that she's really starting to come into her own and, like, really kind of test these people who are, like, big players in Westeros. She, this is kind of when Sansa starts to develop, though, that pompous attitude. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're exactly right. And when he kind of starts to try to get her to think a little bit she's like obviously she's super emotional because she's really upset with him but at this point peter's always thinking he's like listen you know your your uncle brendan the blackfish he retook river run so if you guys you know like just you know to let you know ahead of time there's an army that you can have and she says i have an army and he looks at her and he says no you have your brother's army so already he's starting to sow a little bit of discord among sansa and john snow and he continues to do that like a little bit more as the season as this uh, season goes on, basically saying that hey, you know what? Like all of these people in the north are gonna rally to your brother, not you. He doesn't have the Stark name. You do. Like what are you gonna do about that? Like basically, he's he's still like a little snake in the grass, causing problems for everyone around him, so he can benefit himself. That's exactly what he does, and I think this kind of opens up a big point for Baelish. A lot of his entire plan really relied on Sansa. If Sansa wasn't there, his plan would it? Here's a quick question: Do you think it would have completely fell apart? Absolutely, because uh, if he doesn't have Sansa, he's still basically a pawn in the Lannisters' like schemes because he's got no power. But the fact that he was able to usher Sansa away, she's the key to the North. So now he can basically rally the entire North around her. So now he's got like. He's power played himself up another notch. Without her, where is he going to go? Who is he going to get his allegiance from? Right? He got like the army of the Vale because he married Liza Aaron, and obviously he pushed Liza Aaron through the moon door, and now he controls. Like obviously, well, Robin Aaron, like is the Lord of the Vale, but um, obviously, almost like the Joffrey was the king, but Tywin was really pulling the strings. That's right. exactly like it is for right. Robin Aaron and Peter Baelish, but it's only going to go so far, especially for a like civilization doesn't like to get involved into what's going on so he couldn't really just be like okay i've got the knights of the Vale and my army here and we're going at it he needed other pieces and without sansa he wouldn't have been able to get as far as he did who do you think say if sansa wasn't there though who do you think he would have tried to use to gain power like do you th- mm. i don't think it would have been Arya. he doesn't know Arya's alive Right, um, I mean before that because he still knew Arya was in King's Landing when all this was going down, though. So, well, in Arya season was one, in, uh, okay, uh, season one. I'm talking way back, so like when his whole plan started. See, because like I don't think he had a whole. I think he kind of like 
dug his plans on the fly because at that point in time like rob stark was still alive and like the whole north rallied around him so he couldn't really use the north at all at that point because you know they had their own issue they, their own prerogative and they knew that baelish is the one who pretty much um betrayed ned stark and i told you not to trust me like the knife to the neck right so i'm if i'm gonna put it to like let's say let's just to say sansa's out of the picture here like as of this point what do i think he would have done I think, uh, man, it would be super tough. I, I honestly think he would have made an allegiance with the Boltons because he would believe he'd be able to outsmart the Boltons to overtake the Lannisters. Because now the Lannisters, like now that Tywin was dead, like they all saw the Lannisters as like prey, right? He already conspired with um, Highgarden to murder Joffrey in the first place. So you know, could we? And, but the thing is, is we know Elena's smart and she wouldn't have trusted him. So I would, I think we would probably have seen an alliance with. Like um, the the Vale and um, Winterfell with the Boltons, over which there. is a very interesting thought because if you think about what we're going to talk about next episode, you know, <laughs> the Vale basically is what wipes out the Boltons. Yeah, exactly. They they were the uh, the one <laughs> the watchers <laughs> on the wall, if you will. <laughs> right? No, so they can right. we'll, we'll, we'll get into yeah. that in a little bit. But you know, now that we are talking about Arya a little bit. You know, let's we'll jump over to her and Bravos because she's sitting there still training with the Waif, and the Waif says something very interesting. She says, "You will never be one of us." And Jack and Agar, kind of lurking in the shadows, comes out and he says, "She's right, you know." So it's like, okay, like, so you both think that Arya is not cut out for this? Then, then what are we doing, right? So Jack and Agar at that point gives Arya like a little bit of a history of the Faceless Men. And yeah, so. and keep in mind at this point, you know, this is when Arya is still kind of getting beaten down at this point, but she's starting to fight back just a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, this is when, you know, I got to say symbolism of three, because first the wave hits her with the sweep of the stick. She falls on the ground, kicks Arya in the stomach, and she falls back when she gets up again. And then the last time, you know, when Arya's fighting back, still having, you know, the biggest perseverance in the world, she completely gets uppercut and then falls back on the ground again. <laughs> That's a big stretch to say symbolism of three. But my point is, you know, this is when you really start to see that perseverance of Arya. She's not, she's definitely not a beggar anymore. Yeah, and that, that was kind of a theme throughout the entire series is Arya... She always like wanted to do the right, like be a big player in big parts and and things. So it's like she just always got overpowered or like outsmarted, and she just was basically getting her ass kicked the whole series. But this is where you start to see her fighting back. I think this is the 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 beginning of the Arya that we all like love at this point. You know when this whole thing ends, right? So he kind of he what he does basically is he he gives her a vial and says you know tells her once more that you know this this is for Lady Crane. A girl has been given a second chance. There will not be a third. Telling her, like, yeah, listen, we gave you a second one. You know, we gave you your eyes back. We were going to give you one more go at this. But, like, if you screw up, that's it. You're dead. Yeah, in the books, she's actually uh, Lady Stork. So um, if anyone's reading the books, that's exactly who that is over there as well. It's so interesting that they they changed some of the names there. Yeah, pretty funny. Uh, But, yeah, you want to tell them about their assignment that she has to go on over there? Go ahead. So uh, basically what, you know, she's assigned to do is we talked about a little bit last episode with kind of varies is history there is, you know, these actors and actresses 
she was basically assigned to go poison, you know, I say Lady Stork because I read the book so much, but Lady Crane. Um, in the books, actually, which is funny, is she actually is assigned as part of the cast. Uh, in the book, she's not a spectator like she is uh, there. Oh, she's part of the She's the actually play. part Got of it. the cast. Um, but what is funny is, you know, she goes to observe this play, and it's very interesting because it's it almost reminds her of all these feelings because it's a mockery on her family yeah. this whole time. You know, they're reenacting all the stuff that happened when she first gets there with Ned that we talked about yeah. episodes ago now. Exactly. Um, That's exactly what happens. You know, they do a reenactment of when uh, he basically makes it, making it seem that Ned tried to steal the throne from Joffrey and they're making a joke about how like oh I'm begging for mercy like I'm a dumb Stark like basically like made the Starks look really dumb and like people like picking on them and then uh, uh he had to say that uh, Joffrey was the true king and then Joffrey took a set off anyways like it was really exactly what set all the mo- like parts in motion to a Song of Ice and Fire in this play but it was just a, a parody of it making fun of like everybody like trashing everyone they, like made fun of Joffrey made fun of Ned made fun of Tyrion made fun of literally the all the big players in a song of ice and fire and she's seeing that as like you can see, kind of see it the flashbacks kind of in her in her eyes and in her mind when they like take like ned's head off in the play and it's really sad <laughs> and think of your jackin though <clears throat> jack and hagar over here it really is the ultimate test because she's assigned a task to take out lady crane and he almost wants to see if she really has become no one where there are no emotions involved. That's true. That's a really good point. That's a really good point that you make, man. Honestly, uh, <laughs> if you're supposed to be nobody, that shouldn't bother you because you're not. You're not Arya Stark. You're right. no one. Dilly so. dilly, malice yeah. in the chalice, Cheers, baby. Buddy. Good Absolutely. stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Actually, now that continue into that. Uh, Arya has second thoughts about poisoning Lady Crane. Like she sees that Lady Crane's like a really nice woman and seems to be like well liked by everybody. Uh, so that's when you start thinking like, uh oh, like what's gonna happen here? Right. <laughs> Oysters, clams, and cuckles. And it, so now we kind of jump over to another Stark, uh, Bran. The three-eyed Raven is showing Bran the children of the forest creating the Night King, which is really really interesting because. I've got a lot of questions, especially when it comes to uh, the end here of Season 6. We're probably going to do that next week. But I've got a little bit of questions, especially with the creation of the Night King, really where it, where it comes to play for Benjen Stark later on. I've got a little bit of questions yeah. about that. But um, right now, he's basically... Like, I think it's super important that we all see like the inception of where the Night King came from. So they decided that they wanted to fend off mankind because like the men were killing the children of the forest so like they they captured that's the one thing that we get frustrated with is they never explain who this guy is right exactly we'll we'll tackle that probably in our summary episode but they basically what they do is they they drive the children of the forest dagger into the heart of this man and he becomes the night king yeah they have him basically almost stripped naked to a tree (laughs) yeah and then you know the children of the forest that we've talked about on this episode before that had been there since the beginning. Beginning of time, really, yeah. Beginning of time, yeah. 
he's basically sitting there, you know, he's got the bandage across his mouth so he can't say anything. And then they're shoving the knife into him and then you see the eyes turn blue. One of the questions it brings up to me though is like, why that guy? Like, right. why? Like, and the thing is like, there's gotta be a reason why. Like one of the biggest theories and I'm gonna go into a little bit about why I think I, I, I lean towards this theory, but and I'm mean, not today, but I, what I say is like, is it, is it because he's a Targaryen? Because not he's today. Some, he's someone. <laughs> right, yeah. He is. He's someone obviously of importance. He has to be someone of importance because you're not gonna, just going to take Farmer John and put a knife to his heart, <laughs> and now he's like, you know, like the king of, king of all death and shadow and nothing, right? Here's another so. big piece too, though, right? As they're shoving that knife in him, it almost appears to be dragon glass. Yeah. Which you know brings up i think it was dragon glass yeah and that's what i perceived it as i just didn't want to assume dragon glass but then you have another problem for Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about you know episodes from now as we get towards the end of this arc it why why out of all things like dragon class if that's what's supposed to destroy them then why are they shoving glass in them to create them Kind of almost like the way, like how was the the one ring from Lord of the Rings formed from the fires of Mount Doom? How do you destroy it? The fires of Mount Doom. Makes sense. I could I could buy it because, and then you have Valyrian steel because mm-hmm. how dragon glass, you know the history of Valyria. Yep. So I can I can I can buy it. And my biggest question is, like, how did he end up there? Yeah, how did he end up there? Who up is here? he? Like, like why why choose this guy? Like. And we get no sort of any like backstory on this. One of the biggest issues that we have, but yeah. So now, now that we have an idea at least of how this night king was created, you know, it doesn't give us get us any closer to how do we defeat it, right? And that's right. basically what the three eyed raven's trying to get Brand to do is understand everything, so that way when it comes to a final showdown, like they know everything they can possibly know about this guy, right? And so now we kind of get taken to the Iron Islands. And in the Iron Islands, they're doing what's called a king's moot. So Yara makes her claim, and Theon happens to be there, and they're all looking for, like, like oh, like, why would a woman take it? Like, you know, when uh, um, Balon Greyjoy's tr- uh, true-born son is right here. And Theon, like, has that moment where, like, he can go one of two ways. He can backstab his sister, Yara, and be like, yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm making the claim for the Iron Throne. Or he can back her up because, like, of all that she's been through and how she's actually qualified for you know, to lead them. And so Theon, after making terrible choices all throughout the series, ends up making the right one, and he ends up backing Yara. Now, it's all well and dandy. That's great until their Uncle Euron comes <laughs> out of, like, the clear blue sky and walks up to him, tells the entire Iron, Iron Islands how he killed Balon Greyjoy <laughs> to all their faces, and then decides he's going to make a claim for that same throne that he just murdered the guy that was sitting on. Like, how ballsy was that? Super ballsy. Man. I got some respect for Young Greyjoy. I don't like the casting option for him. I don't believe he portrayed him as well as he could have like, for the books. It could have been a lot better. Like, but man, like you gotta respect you gotta respect the writing at least for for <laughs> for Euron Greyjoy. This was probably the so one thing I really did like about the way they did portray Euron as far as in the show was his pompousness mm-hmm. because he did have that in the Big books. arrogance, yeah. Uh, arrogance. How he wasn't afraid just to be like, hey, I killed 
Baylor. Yeah, I killed like, your king. I, I killed him. I like, like, hope whatever. you guys know. I've been gone oh, for 14 well. years, but I killed your king. Is that cool? Yeah. Can I also like take his spot? Is that cool too? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically, exactly. like, like the guy's crazy. Like, like that doesn't work, man. <laughs> Insane. And uh, so, I mean, that really backed him up. I just didn't like the way they portrayed his intellectuality. Yeah. Remember his, this his intellect, his physical appearance, like yeah. anything. Like it's way different. Like he was known as being like one of the most handsome guys in mm-hmm. the land. I mean, he found a dragon egg. Like he traveled all across these islands. It, he was well known. But one quote I really love here where he basically tells Theon to fuck off. Yeah, excuse don't. my language. Theon, heard you managed to fuck things right into the ground. Got taken prisoner and even heard you have no cock, <laughs> which is why a woman can be king. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it basically is like, screw you, Theon. That's exactly <laughs> is and, what that is. And another part, too, like, I think that's important that we add to this that Euron Greyjoy is telling them as well is that he was telling them how he was going to seduce Daenerys over in Marine, bring her an entire, <laughs> like, the, the, the Iron Islands fleet of a thousand amazing ships, and how he was going to give Daenerys his big fat cock. That's exactly what he said. Exactly. That goes into season seven. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, later on. But um, think of this, though. People forget Euron is their uncle. Yes, Could you related to the, they're related to this guy. <laughs> Could you imagine your uncle telling like, you that in a family gathering? Imagine you're at a family reunion and your uncle's like, I heard you have no cock. That's like when you're a child and like your younger brother, you're like, what, 13 years old and your younger brother is like, you know, 10, 9 at the time. And you start getting acne because you're like going through puberty or something. He's like, man, I hope I never get acne. And <laughs> like the table. That's basically what it is. He's just calling him out in front of everybody. Dude. And like, that's, I mean, to think about it, that's the way to do it. Cause like, like these are the biggest challenges for the throne. So he's like, hey, what are you bitches going to do about this fact that I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm here now. What's up? <laughs> so. I respect the move, man. It was crazy. And and the Ironborn, they end up choosing Euron. Like, they, they chose him. They're like, hey, you know what? I don't care that you killed our king. I don't care that you just disrespected his heirs. Like, we're, we're rolling with you, my man. We, <laughs> we think that you can take us where we want to be to prominence. And uh, that's crazy. Because then at that point, Theon and Yara, they steal his best ships during his coronation. And, like, as he comes, oh, it was so great. crazy because he comes out of the water after he finally, like, gets, like, he, like, dies and is reborn. Like, that's what their kind of, like, ritual is. Um, to become like the king of the Iron Islands. So this he, like, part is really cool, by the way. Yeah, like how they put him underneath the water, yeah. and how like he basically has to hold there until like he doesn't move anymore, and then they pull him out. And like if he if he jerks up and like the the water comes out and he survives, that means like you know the the um, drowned god approves of like this like this guy is a new king. He died his himself. Now he's he was reborn as the king of the Iron Islands with the drowned god's blessing. And so he comes up out of there. Finally, he like it, it, we get the little bit of drama where it's like, oh my gosh, is he gonna, you know, is he gonna get what is up? dead is may never dead? die. Right. That's a, that's such a cool saying, yeah. saying too. But uh, he gets up and he he puts that crown on his head. He goes, "Where are my niece and nephew? Let's go murder them." That's <laughs> insane. Like a psychopath. After he's just been dead. After he does, yeah, like, he literally <laughs> dies. Like, and I'll put this scene on the on the blog. He literally, like, they hold him underground until he drowns yeah, yeah, until he's and dead. dies. Yeah, exactly. Like, actually dies. Which, this is actually a little bit of a difference between, I mean, you know, things happen in the books, of course. But in the books, he actually doesn't admit to killing uh, Baleon. He is a little bit more, <laughs> I can't say, you know, 
um, modest. I can't say that, but he's not as outright as I did this accuse me of it. Right. Whereas in the show, it was like, he's like yeah, whatever, I, I don't care kind of thing. Like you just flat out just threw it out there. But here's a question, though, right? Sure. And this was something I wrote down. Do you think he deserved to be king over Yara and Theon? Because he's accomplished more than Yara and Theon anyways. But at the same time, just because you accomplished more, like you weren't there for I think it was what fourteen years that he hadn't he hadn't been in the Iron Islands. So like 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 he doesn't know their people. Like he doesn't know how things are run. He just comes in there and believes because he's got the last name and that he's got so many accolades to hang his hat on that, you know, hey, the Iron Islands should be mine now. You know, like I mean I don't as far as I'm sorry I don't mean no just for experience wise because Yara has a lot of experience like she was given 30 ships and take Mo Kalen she did that like she's been doing everything her father had wanted her to do she's been conquering like the only thing she really failed at was like getting Theon back and her father didn't even tell her to do that he said like leave him basically so like like I don't know man I, I think that Yara knew the people better she had a good amount of experience but at the end of the day it's especially back in those days they just don't respect women Right, and that's what I was going to kind of go into is they're not going to ever choose Theon because he was locked up in a cage for the past And year. he doesn't have a penis. He can't create an animal. Like, <laughs> exactly. Have, like, I'm sorry to put it that no way. No respect. But, like, and what has he accomplished? Like, what has he accomplished, really, besides took being Winterfell. Rob's bitch? <laughs> took, took Winterfell. That's but. it. Yeah, and he was king of the rock for <laughs> what a... Uh, <laughs> he was king of the rock for a few weeks. Yeah. That's basically what it was, and they didn't give a shit. Yep. It... Yeah, and when you still look at Euron's, is it Euron, 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 right? I, you know, I always mess with it. Euron, Euron. <laughs> uh, his experience, like, I mean, it, it's very similar to Yara, which we talked about in previous episodes. You know, he took over Iron Fleets by himself. Like, he conquered things by himself. He found a dragon egg. He went to the edge of the world. Whereas Yara, just like you were said, saying, having those experiences, basically what it comes down to is, unfortunately, you know, during those times, they just weren't going to choose a woman yeah. as, a, as a queen. Yeah, my, my question to you, bro, is let's say Theon had never even taken captive and he never, actually, let's say Theon never was a ward for the Starks and he never left the Iron Islands at all. And let's say Euron comes back and kills Balon Greyjoy and Theon is whole, has, he's got all of his parts and he never was a slave for anybody, like whether it's the Starks or the Boltons. Do you still think they choose Euron or do you think they choose Theon? So here's my backing to that answer. And you know I'm a big Theon guy. Like I think he was portrayed not near as well as he should have in the show as opposed to the books like he was kind of like the draco malfoy but going to that being draco malfoy you know just because you're draco doesn't mean you're lucius um harry potter hint hint um here's my thing he really doesn't have the experience of Euron at all. So, oh, I'm basically saying let's say let's just switch yara and theon's places let's say theon did all those things that yara did I'm just saying, like, like let's just say, pretend that like Theon lived a regular, normal life in the Iron Islands, and you know, be- become became everything that Balon wanted him to be as a son. Do you think that Theon would be have been chosen over Euron? Or do you think Euron could have still came in, killed Balon, and gotten away with becoming the next king? Because you guys know, with the king's move, it's never it, you don't go down like the succession of heirs. It doesn't matter if the king, you know, if you were his trueborn heir or not. 
they choose who they want to be king. So do you think that like Fionn with all the accolades of Yara and you know being Balon's true son and just being a conqueror for the Iron Islands, do you think he is selected over Yaron or do you think Yaron still still gets it? My instant <clears throat> my instant answer is yes, because you want to think of the air, right? That goes directly down like normal houses. The question is, you got to think, just like how you mentioned before, you know, how Hitler was gaining his own backing. How much backing does Euron have at this point? Um, Would things have turned out differently for him if Theon was still seen as kind of like the golden child, right? I think, I would say no if Euron had the same experience as today because they choose their own and it all depends on the people that choose just like today's you know president and that sort of thing it all depends on the people that back him however if it was done like the other houses directly to an heir they wouldn't give a shit what euron's experience was they would have just chosen theon so my answer to that would be i think theon would still wind up being a little bitch because of what ramsey did to him anyone could have done to him at some point because it showed he was weak Interesting. I have a lot to say. Like I've got things to say on that, but so, we're gonna move on to it. No, let's thing. hear it. Let's hear it. Well, the only thing we is, is that like the only reason Ramsey had Theon like that is because he had an entire army come take, and they basically like his own like people turned on him because of the the uh, note that uh, Rob Stark like signed off for Roose Bolton to say like, hey, you know, that uh, Ironborn like tell them they have free peace and passage back to their lands except Theon Greyjoy. You know, and if they and if they stay, we'll kill them all. And so, like his own people turned on him and like fed him too. Like, like he got, he was captured and was like held into. Like he wasn't his part. It wasn't like he fought and lost and got captured. He like got, he get, you know, it was like a what's it called, a mutiny from his own people. So it's like I don't know if he had this because the thing is like Yara has a lot of support from the like the, the people who she captained and kind of ruled alongside her dad with us. So she he was grooming her for. You know the next in command. If we just replace that with Theon, as if Theon never went through the trials and tribulations that he did, I just think that you know Theon would have been the the choice that made sense. But I will say this: if they did like a a one on one battle for the debt to the death of who gets to who gets to rule, Euron Greyjoy would have would have killed Theon for sure. I I see where you're coming from. My only issue is who's to say that Theon. This is when you know. <laughs> People start talking about like time travel and stuff like you were talking about in in game. <laughs> you know, your past doesn't change, your past becomes the present, right? Like who's to say that Theon's decisions would ever be different? Like who's to say in a battle, you know, which we'll talk about in season 7, say you have a huge battle, right? Who's to say he doesn't just want to run and lose all the respect of his people? So it's it's just difficult to say. I mean, I think we can both agree on the only one that was ever fit to rule was Yara. But the bottom line is during that time, like, if you're a woman, you're out. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, let's switch Yara with Theon. Like, let's basically pretend that Yara is Theon. <laughs> That's why I was like, I was wondering because it's a better question that way. Well, if Yara is Theon, then I would completely agree with you. Yeah. That's they would the, definitely I, 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 choose him. I would think they would choose him, but I still think that Euron takes them farther because I don't think at any point in time. 
do you really get a sense that Theon's going to be a good leader in the books or in the series? And that was, that's that kinda the like, problem. And that's, that's kind of the thing the that issue, what, uh, what Tyrion said. He's like, I'm not fit to rule. <laughs> well, we He's can like, agree, agree on, on that. that. <laughs> so, but that's yeah. my issue, though. So, like, who would ever back him? Like, we have no evidence that he ever would make any different decision. You know? Like, that's my issue here is based on at least Euron has experience taking over naval fleets by himself, which isn't that great of an accomplishment. Super great. <laughs> like, but, like you got no, I think that's awesome. Well, I'm yeah. saying compared to like Danny and all these people. Well, right. But, but yeah, he doesn't have dragons. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, Jon yeah. Snow didn't have dragons. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. John, now, now everyone's going to be Jon Snow though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. But you know, let, let's, let's kind of go on for that. Uh, cool. Cause now that we kind of mentioned into Danny, this is, this is an important part because if you guys remember Jorah Mormont, He's been trying to get back to Danny his entire time. And she's like banishing him and everything. Want to go to bed? Bath so he goes and with um, Dario and like does their best to like rescue Danny. So now that she's all free and good and's got the Calisar at her back, basically, Jorah shows Danny like, "Hey, listen, I'm like, you know what? Because uh, she doesn't know what to do with him. He's like, listen, you don't have to choose. I'm gonna die anyways." He shows her a grayscale, and you know, so he basically like says like, you know, he says his final goodbyes to her at that point in time. So it was a pleasure, you know, it was an honor of my life. Like. You know, serving you, and she turns like to walk away, and she says, "Do not walk away from your queen, Jor the Andal. You have not been dismissed." And remember, like this goes to show, this shows like all Jorah had, like all his love for her, because he says, "I love you. I have always loved you." Yeah. <laughs> Bed Bath and Beyond at its finest, baby. Dude. He was traveling with her to the Victoria's Secret Isle, looking through the tags, and he says, does this look good on you to wear for your boyfriend? <laughs> That's exactly what happened. But yeah, I think at this point, you know, Danny even shows, because if it was any sort of, any sort of attraction that Danny had for him besides seeing him as a father, which is what I think Danny saw I think him so as. Too. Yeah. She would have said something different besides when I take the seven kingdoms, I need you by my side. Like, I mean, she would have said something different than that. Which is interesting because, like, she knew that she needed a Jorah, but then later we'll talk about, like, who she didn't need going and going further. So Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Um, so what Danny basically does, he commands, she commands Jorah to find the cure and return to her. Which is like, okay, so now we finally got a resolution to this, right? This whole entire time, it's like, what's going to happen between Jorah and Danny? Because he's been trying to come back to her. She's been banishing him over and over again. Even Tyrion's like, hey, yeah, you can't have him with you when you go back. And she's like, all right, well, you're gone again. And so, but he kept coming back like that lost stray puppy. And now she's like, now because his life is in mortal danger and she knows he's going to die from this grayscale, she's like, no, no, find the cure and return to me. Like you said, you know, I can't take the Iron Islands without yeah. you by my side. And... Do you think, here's a question, do you think Jorah was ever scared at the moment, like he had grayscale? Like, I think he was freaked out, I guess, you know, I wouldn't be able to go back and do my duty and, and serve Danny, but I don't think he ever really feared dying. I'm with you. I agree with you 100%. I think that's exactly it. He didn't give, he didn't care that he was going to die. He just like, he felt, he felt terrible that he was in bad standing with the person that he loved and had watched grown from a child to uh, one of the best conquerors in the history of the Song of Ice and Fire. Which, we'll get into this later, but I felt like this piece was almost like, became declimactic. Like, you thought it was going to be some big thing where he was going to search for the cure, and 
you know, we'll talk about later, you know, how I kind of like how up. it turned out. I liked how it turned out because it showed finally another <clears throat> character, like, his worth. Like, my only issue is it's you thought he's gonna travel, travel across far lands to get to this place, and he just winds up there, like, just winds up showing up there which we'll find makes out sense, later though i mean if all the places that you think to, to look for knowledge on like something that lost like cure or antidote like that's the only place that you could possibly go to i mean i can see it i just feel like <laughs> it's almost like people weren't freaked out enough like they were just like oh well that sucks man like come back when you're cancer free <laughs> like you see what i'm saying like it's just awful um i just felt like it was a little bit downplayed in the show but okay so from here right then we kind of switch over to Tyrion and Varys again uh when they're starting to meet with you know the new red priestess the new red priestess Kenvara Kenvara that's her name yeah, yeah new servant of lord of light is actually what she's I she's literally put down. the Melisandre of Essos <laughs> which I do want to let you know this is actually a big difference between the books and the show because this never happens in the books right. there's no more yeah, red exist, yeah. yeah so um, but you know this happens and she kind of you know who she reminded me of who's the girl that's the actress in the original first two mummy films with brendan fraser Jeez, i don't know she looked just like her she's in uh she's gonna be in black widow she plays uh natalia's sister scarlett johansson's sister y'all look that up let me know that actress i'll have to look that up isn't her name natasha romanoff not natalia black widow uh well you know hawkeye always calls her natalia oh, i was think i'm pretty sure it's natasha we're gonna fight about this all right, <laughs> quick, quick sidebar because we, we need to figure here. this off. Let's see. While you do that, I'm gonna look up the actress's name. Good stuff. All right, let's take a look. But yeah, her name is Natasha, but I think Hawkeye does call her Natalia yeah, at one point. It's, it's for sure Natasha Romanoff. I know, but type in a Hawkeye Natalia. See if that does pop up. Because let's see, you might be. You which might is funny because I just watched in game like two days ago. That's what happens when you're in quarantine. You watch a three-hour film followed by an <laughs> Infinity War <laughs> going back in time. <laughs> That's exactly. That's what happens. Like we got so much time. Like this is so great. Like we've got so many things that we're gonna jump into as well. And guys, don't think we're done with the with the MCU either. We've got things coming up in uh, later 2020 for oh, that as well. Um, her name was Rachel Wise. Rachel Wise. Okay. Rachel Wise. You know who I'm talking about? That's in the Mummy. Right there. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> she looks so. Very he does call her Natalia Romanoff as well. I told yeah. you. Yeah, I I know my MCU man, especially Hawkeye. Because <laughs> if I shave my head, I look just like him. Oh goodness. Yeah. Oh, slayfest, slayfest. So, Anyways, yeah. Back back to Kinvara here. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what like her whole thing is that she's enlisted by Tyrion to spread word that Daenerys was responsible for the security of Marine and like how like they're back at peace and that. Now Daenerys is the prince that's promised, or princess that's promised. Um, now, Varys, it's very strange because Varys is usually pretty cool and collected with everybody, but with these red priestesses, like he's angry. He's like angry all the time. Like he wants to fight with them, like argue with them, and so he ha- he has like a little back and forth with Kinvara, and she like silences him basically because like she's like, do you remember the voice that you heard in the fire? Like something that she would never know. You know what I mean? Here's so a, it freaks in, him out a little bit. Yeah. Here's an interesting point. I think personally, 
and of course no one would pick up on this in the show um unless of course you've read the books or the history but i think it goes back to you know varies his history remember they cut his testicles off and sacrificed him to the lord of light yep and he heard the heard that voice in the flames so that's exactly it she she knows more detail than it's possible about his castration and the voice in the flame like she should know nothing about this he doesn't know her she doesn't know him which kind of leads to that aura of mystery about the Lord of Light. Like, what kind of powers does he give his servants? Because it's obviously more than, you know, any other, you know, of the gods that we've seen in this show, right? You know, all the old gods and the new gods, we don't really see them really come into play at all other than people believing in them and praying to them. But we've seen the Lord of Light give Melisandre power to cast a shadow, throw us a mirror, bring Beric and Darien back. Uh, you know, now this as well, it has like no words and, and things and moments in time that she wasn't even around for this Kinvara girl. So like, there's something to this Lord of Light that, you know, we, we, I, I, we need to get into detail about that. Like, cause he's the only one of the quote unquote gods that has any sort of like real power that we get to see physically firsthand. Right. And I think it's important too, that everyone knows. So just cause you're a priestess doesn't mean you all believe the same path to the Lord of Light. Um, They all believe it differently and can worship it in different ways. But yeah, I mean, there were so many different theories in this, especially with the books. Like, you know, keep in mind, you know, John's not back yet in the books. Like that's something that they always thought was maybe John is the prince that was promised or you know you even had Melisandre that thought maybe Danny was because keep in mind prince that was promised doesn't necessarily spec- necessarily specify a gender in ancient Valyrian it doesn't no well as of, as of right now so Melisandre she initially was dead set on Stannis as the prince that was promised then he dies and then she thinks okay maybe it's Jon Snow because we were able to bring Jon Snow back where Kinvara over in Marines like no Danny's the prince that prince or princess that was promised so it's like yeah everyone has their own different opinions and everyone believes they're right here and this is something that I want to talk about later on in terms of like this whole Azora High thing because that that sword that Stannis had if you guys remember this is this is we're going way back here I think it's a, a season two at least it's in the books uh, it wasn't really mentioned and it never was shown in the uh, series. But Maester Aemon asks Sam to hold Lightbringer, which is the sword that Melisandre had brought, had given to Stannis, had made for Stannis, and she thought that was like the magical sword of Azor Ahai. And so it was shining, it was very bright. But the issue was, and Maester Aemon said, like after they left, um, he taught, he asked Sam, like you know, what what did you see? Because like Maester Aemon was like blind, so he asked Sam, like what did you see with the sword? They got it's shown, it's shown brightly as like a thousand lights. Then he said, but did you feel any heat off of it? And Sam said, no. He said, neither did I. So, like, right then and there, like, that sword, right? Because, like, it's supposed to have a glow radiant heat to be Azor Ahai's light bringer sword. So, from there in the books, you have an idea that Stannis is not the prince that was promised. So, it's just interesting how it, it goes on and on, but it's never explained in this show at all. Which we'll get into later, but I really think the way the show had ended was... I really wish they had decided through prophecy someone was Azor high and had squared off against the Night King because he was supposed to be, which doesn't exist in the books, you know, if this is what they were intending, Benninghoffen Wise, was the, you know, the head honcho, I guess you would say, or the lead of the great others, um, which 
it it really gets very detailed here because you can't call him the god of death because technically that's almost what Jack and Hagar is because he you know it describes him even in the books as having a skull face and you know what do they say to the god of death not today it, it gets really detailed but I feel like we were robbed of that we we're for sure robbed of at least at least a couple things on that end. But the thing is, like my issue with Jack Nagar, like he even says, like uh, um, there's only one, you know, uh, there's only one true God, and you know his name, meaning death. So it wasn't like directing it towards himself. So I don't know. It's it's really tough to say. Um, but like you gave all this hope build up, yeah, yeah, yeah build all up this build up, and just left us with nothing. Right, left us high and dry. And we'll talk more about that in our in our summary episode, but. Let's go back into this in a little bit now. Now we've kind of brought up the Night King. Bran, he goes behind the Three-Eyed Raven's back. So the Three-Eyed Raven right now is sleeping in his like little tree thing that he's like stuck in, right? Bran decides he's going to like crawl himself because obviously he's crippled. So he crawls on his hands and gets to the tree root and grabs the tree root. He goes into a vision. And guys, this is super interesting. And I have it written down here on my, on my notes I wanted to bring up at this point. The same symbol we see from the White Walkers in season one with the horse and the horse's body at the fist of the first men, that same symbol is shown again. Guys, that symbol was never ever like discussed afterwards, which is really frustrating. So like you've you've shown this in three different areas. The very first episode, when like all the bodies were scattered when the people in the forest saw them and like before they cut the guy's head off and how like basically the series started um in episode one, season one we see that symbol there. We see the symbol again at the Fist of the First Men with the horse's bodies. And now we see the symbol once more. Never explained. But anyways, <laughs> I just want to bring that up. That this is, another, this is a continuous symbol that's brought up over and over again that we get no sort of explanation on. Which I got to completely agree with that. Because it's like, then they start pulling symbols out their ass. Like, did you just go watch the old Mel Gibson movie Signs and start Something. start redrawing them with bodies? Like, what happened here? No explanation. And so Bran, at this point, he sees the army of the dead, and he approaches the Night King. And this is something that we went into. We don't have to tackle yeah. too much in today because we had a huge debate last about episode. it last time, yep. was that the Night King looks and sees him, and Bran kind of, like, startled because, like, oh, shit, like, this guy sees me. He goes to turn away, and the Night King grabs his wrist. And so, like, he yanks himself out, and, like, he looks down at his arm, and the Three-Eyed Raven immediately wakes up, and he knows something's wrong. He looks at him, he's like, he touched you. And Bran's like, no, and it got away. He's like, he touched you. And he looks down at his arm, and there's three burn marks where, like, the, the fingers of the Night King had grabbed him on the wrist. And so, at this point, what that means is they are no longer protected by the magic of the Children of the Forest, because wherever Bran is, the Night King now is able to go. Which there was like a small theory a long time ago that Bran was the Night King. Well, cut that out of your head now because that actually does get debunked, which you'll find out later if you haven't seen the seasons. But it's like there were so many theories here, which we'll get into on the summary episodes. And this is really when you start to... You start digging into this detail because it doesn't make sense. It's like you're... Up into this point, every piece, almost like, you know, if you look like at old ancient history that feeds off another, or if you look at the Bible or that sort of thing, like everything kind of feeds into itself. So everything plays off itself. So it makes sense. Every certain sequence. Here's really where you're starting to see that crumble 
Like, it, it doesn't make sense later on. Or why? Uh, or that we're... It's like solving a murder case. Like, you have the body, you have the blood on the ground with the knife, and the guy standing there. But the guy standing there is telling you that the other three people that were there before just left and did it. So you're like, it doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? So, interesting. It's an interesting analogy. <laughs> <laughs> kind of confusing. But, uh, no, so... the. the Right now, too, like this is where Three Eye Raven tells Bran, "Hey, you know what? It's time to become me." And Bran's like, "Am I right? Am I ready?" And the Raven's like, "No, you're not. <laughs> like, you fucked up, big boy. <laughs> you you screwed this. You screwed the pooch on this one." <laughs> and now we it, it kind of breaks us down into Jon Snow's War Council. They realize they're outnumbered by the Boltons, and they kind of go through all the houses that have declared for Bolton. So Sansa sends Brienne to River Run in hopes that she's going to get some support, some support from her uncle, Brynn the Blackfish. And Jon Snow and his retinue, they leave Castle Black to go uh, basically um, get the wildlings. Like, hey, like, can you help us here, right? So right. Uh, the Night King and his army arrive at the Three-Eyed Raven's like, lair, as like, I like to call it. The Three-Eyed Raven is showing Bran another vision at this time. And one thing we do notice, guys, and this is something that, t- to your point, like I, I wrote down because you kept asking about this, the, the fire does not affect the Night King or his th- his three other like lieutenants, like the, the leaders of the rest of the army. Because what happens is when the, the Children of Force are throwing those fireballs, all the army stops, but like those four or five guys with the Night King all walk right through it. So we see, we see right there that fire doesn't affect these people. And that's a really good point because so many people, including, I got to be honest, myself at first, thought they just pulled it out of their ass. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I mean, it, it goes to show, I mean, despite some of the details that were missing in the last season, you still got to give Benninghoff and Wise credit because they did stick to the story. Like, you can sit here and believe whatever you want about our queen. But in the end, it's been shown, and we've sat here and shown you from examples going all the way back since January when we started the thing. Yeah, and we will, we will go ahead in, in the summary episode, and we'll give you every instance from every season. We kept all the notes from the beginning every single time that there's evidence of what ended up ha- transpiring of how that was going to happen. So I will say this. I see, like, you know, they did great portraying what George R.R. R. Martin wanted in the books that he had already written. I have a lot of issues with them kind of going off on their own they have got a got they've got a couple good scenes they've got a couple good you know like storylines but not enough to tie together what could have possibly been the greatest tv franchise ever created they really they really messed up on a lot of big things by not answering a lot of questions leaving a lot of prophecies unfulfilled or untold leaving some things completely out so that's my issue with that i think they did they did okay i think if you would have named this series like you know anything else like you know the storm of <laughs> the storm of the sea you know what i mean like you know, it would have been a great it would have been a fun series i would watch but the fact is you had uh, you've had like straight up five star reviews for every single season that you put out had everyone super super hyped and then season seven was like a little bit of a decline it's like oh well you know what it's just a decline for a big climactic ending and then it was just like nope we just, just completely tanked off. So, and I mean, here's the here's the thing, though, is that's what people need to remember about this because it has been a year down the road now. Which is funny is we're probably going to end this arc right around the same time it ended last year. Yeah, and didn't plan that either. <laughs> just <happened. laughs> it just happened, right? 
And here's what's so funny is people forget just because of the way season eight ended. This arguably, if you go back from one through six, leave it at one through six and as if we were still waiting for seven to come out, right? Mm-hmm. As George is sitting here waiting to write wins a winner. Yep. Which is what season seven would have been based on. Literally, arguably, would have been better than any fiction franchise we've ever seen. Ever better seen. than Harry Potter, better than Star Wars, Sorry, Lord better than Lord of the Rings, Marvel, any of that. Like, you name it. Yeah. Like, think of that. And here, what are we doing? Everyone, you know, we're going to get into our big one in July. But yeah. this is our big one kicking us off because how it ended up. Yep, exactly. So, you know, let's, let's keep going with it because, you know, we put a lot of good points out there. And, you know, this, this is one of those times where they got it right with the fire. We see there that the fire doesn't, doesn't bother the Night King or his major lieutenants. And also, also, I wrote this down. We got a little bit of a plot hole here because how many Valyrian steel swords are there? There's like five that we know. There's <laughs> there's Brienne's that she has from Jamie. There's um, Long Claw that Jon Snow has. There's the one that the Tarleys have, and like you know, so there's only a limited amount of Valyrian steel swords. Mira killed one of the army of the Deads with her regular ass sword, and we can pull it up on the thing if you don't believe me because I watched it and I replayed it and I said, what the hell is this? She killed a just a regular just army of the dead guy like not not a not a um, white walker like just a white right she just killed one of the regular whites with a regular ass sword and that is not supposed to be able to happen yeah because she wasn't handed down anything nope. was she no not and you can tell it wasn't a Valyrian sword it was just a boring ass sword and somehow it killed a white which did not happen so I'm like <laughs> someone needs to give me an explanation. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. I am out of words. <laughs> <laughs> so then, like, Bran kind of hears Mia, uh, Mira pleading with him in his like vision trance to wake up while he's in the vision with the three-eyed raven. And this is awesome because I told Chase I really wanted to tackle this one here because I really did like the the time lapse, like how I'm gonna break it down of exactly why and how this was possible for what's gonna happen here in about two seconds and how we're gonna close out episode five, right? Yep. So. Bran, so Bran ends up being able to warg into Hodor while he's still in the vision. So right now, Bran is in the past. Bran's in the past at Winterfell, but his mind is in the present, and now he's taking control of Hodor. So him and Hodor are mentally linked between the past and the present. Hodor! So that's the biggest thing. So Because you guys know, Hodor is kind of like a chicken shit. Like, he's scared of everything. You know, Bran has to, like, always warg into him to get him to do anything. Like, back when they got caught at Craster's Keep and he had to, like, rip out that guy's, like, shoulder socket and to get him, like, to get him going. And so, like, he's trying, he's basically slowing them down from getting out of the lair of the three, like, the three-eyed raven. And so, Bran has to warg into him to get things moving. So, this is where the connection is, right? Bran in the past, Hodor in the present, Bran mentally linked to Hodor. So Hodor's kind of both in the past and the present, but without a strong footing in either realm, right? So, uh, Summer stays, and she gets killed by the Whites, which is, this is where we should have had our White Walker direwolf, because Summer just got killed by the Army of the Dead. We should definitely have had a White Walker direwolf. Just saying. Now, Child Hodor is in this vision, too, as, as, like, while he's still there. So he's seeing, like, Willis which is Hodor before Hodor's Hodor, right? He's seeing Willis there. He's got the connection with Hodor. 
you know, we see, we see, you know, I just threw the direwolf in there because I'm upset that we didn't get a White Walker direwolf. But anyways, um, the Three-Eyed Raven tells Bran that the time has come, and the Night King strikes down the Three-Eyed Raven. All right, so Leaf does. So they they start running through that little tunnel thing, and it's just right now. It's Leaf, Hodor, Bran, and Mira. Right, the Summer's dead. Three-Eyed Raven's dead. They've taken over the lair. So. What Leaf does, she basically does a self-destruct fireball to give them enough time to get out of that, that area, that door. So, Hodor, he pushes the door open, gets them all out of there, and you hear Mira start screaming to him to hold the door. So keep in mind, this entire time, Hodor is not doing this of his own volition. He's doing this because Bran is controlling him from the past. Bran Hodor! Is, Bran is still Hodor! in his... Yeah, exactly. Bran is still in the past. He's not in the present. And so because Hodor is is, is kind of has a loose like loose mind footing in both the, the past and the present, he starts... like Because he, he, his young self is right there in the vision next to Bran. Right? So now he's like Mira starts yelling at to Hodor, hold the door. So she's talking to Hodor, but not just Hodor, the connection from Hodor to Bran to little Hodor. Right? And so that connection drives Hodor in, clinically insane. Literally. Because, because he's hearing these basically voices in his head that he knows like are from a different time, different aspect, and it's all he can hear. And he starts, he like has his like weird seizure where. He starts screaming, hold the door, hold the door, which is what Mira is yelling to present Hodor. And so past Hodor is getting all this like trickled down, like mental telepathy. And he's, it literally, it, dry, it drove him insane. It drove him to like simpleton. So tell him exactly what like hold the door breaks down to. Uh, so be, just to give you guys a descriptive detail here. First of all, this entire scene was completely brutal. Like, the Night King, as he's following these guys, pulls this, like, fucking Spider-Man jump out of nowhere when he does <laughs> that, like, earthquake thing. Uh, right before he gets to, you know, the girl as the children of the forest. And before she holds him off, when she pulls that big, you know, I want to say grenade in layman's terms, but that big light bomb that blows everything up. Yeah, They're literally these zombies, I want to say, the whites, right? are stabbing her to the point she's literally dying in front of them before it explodes yep. and then it explodes wiping them all out just holding off enough time so Hodor yep. can hold the door and he keeps saying over and over hold the door hold the door hold the door hold the door and as he's saying this they're coming through the door they're coming through the door stabbing him over and over and over to the point he can't Stand. like he's literally bleeding out holding the door mm-hmm. and he goes hold the door hold the door hold the door hold door hold door hold door hold door and that's it it's exactly it so hodor is literally just an unenunciated form of the phrase hold the door which is exactly why he became insane and the simpleton that he was is because of that mental, like basically two colliding two different timelines, the past and the present, making Hodor, the past Hodor into the simpleton that turns out to be the Hodor we know because present Hodor is going through two different experiences simultaneously in two different timelines. And also, to end that on season five, I also want to argue with the fact that we should have also gotten episode five. I'm sorry, episode five. Good, <laughs> good point. No, good call. That can get confusing. So, I, to close out episode five of season six here, I would like to just point out that we should have also gotten a White Walker Hodor. 
So that would have been instead of White Walker Giants or maybe a little bit of both. If we got a White both. Walker Hodor, both White, be... White Walker Summer, White Walker Hodor. Think of that too. Like I think that's the only thing that would have broken Bran because he's not even himself at that point. That's a good point. That's like a really good that's. Point. If they had brought the White Walker Hodor to the end of to season Winterfell? eight, yeah, I think it would have broken Bran. It, and crazy. here's a, here's another point. Like, at what point are we starting to lose Bran? Like, at what point is Bran starting to become almost that gothic kid in the back of the class <laughs> that everyone wants to still be friends with, but he's like, oh, "Fuck you, man." He <laughs> like, doesn't have a lot to say to anybody, right? Like, you, you walk up to someone in class and you're like, "Hey, man, how's it going? Fuck you." Like, I wouldn't say it's, it's uh, fuck you. It's more like he's so disinterested. Like, like, why are you talking to me? Like, yeah, like, like, that's just literally what it is. like, yeah, leave me alone. Like, you know, like, are we losing him now? Like, is it, is this that point where he's starting to break away? Because remember, even later, you know, you know, Jojen's sister, Mira. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get there. But yes, yeah, no, I know what he's talking about. I think that was the beginning of it. Because like thinking now, he's a three-eyed raven. He's got all these memories that aren't even his flooding into his brain. So he's got all these things going on. So it's definitely affecting him and it's changing him psychologically. So this could be the, the start of it. But I believe it's more like when he starts trying to use his powers that now he's a 3 raven seeing things. It's when he starts getting more and more disconnected from who he was. I'm not sure if this is the right point because when he had that interaction with his uncle that we'll talk about here soon, he seemed pretty normal. Right. So let's jump into season six and episode six. <laughs> season six. Well, we've we been on season, season six. six season six, right? Episodes. Episode six of <laughs> season six. My apologies. It's blood of so, my blood. Blood of my blood. So all of the three-eyed raven's memories are flooding into Bran as Mira tries to pull him through the snow. And now this is what we get to talk about that I'm excited for is this Benjen Stark here. Is he dead or not? Is He's not a white walker because his eyes aren't blue. He saves Bran and Mira and carries them like on his horse. But like he talks about how... Uh, very similar to how the Children of the Forest created the Night King, that's how they kept him alive. But how does that make sense? Because they stabbed him, they stabbed the Night King with the dragon glass in the heart, and, and the Night King's eyes turned blue when he was a White Walker. So how is that different from how they stabbed him through the heart? How does he not have blue eyes, and how is he not a White Walker? And how can he be basically a normal human that's like dead but not dead? Which this I'm bring- wildly confused here. Yeah, and this brings up a whole other episode. If they wanted to go up, <laughs> like, and not an episode for us. But, I mean, as far as, like, they could have made episodes on episodes on seasons on seasons because if they really wanted to go into that, <laughs> that I would perceive it almost as, you know, you have Clegane, the mountain, that got taken the venom to him, so he's not exactly his self anymore. If they wanted to do something like that, cool, I'm all for it. But don't just throw the shit in there. Like, explain where that came Dude, from. He was, like, the same person, but dead, but not dead, because he had the dragon glass in his heart. But if he had the dragon glass in his heart, how didn't it turn him to, like, a White Walker like it did for the Night King? Which plays another big part so in the season confusing. seven. Like, it, it makes no sense. Like, he so, should be dead. We're not happy, for sure. Not happy about it. But, um... Which, don't get us wrong, this isn't Rise of the Skywalker unhappy. This is just, like... This is just something that doesn't make sense. Why put this out here and not explain it? Like... Break it down one more time. How was the Night King created? He was tied up by the Children of the Forest. They grabbed the dragon glass, stabbed it through his heart. The eyes turned blue. He became the Night King. How is Benjen Stark still alive? He was about to die as a, for meat of the Night King's army. He got stabbed. They got ambushed. He was barely alive. The Children of the Forest like, grabbed him, and they did the same thing to stop the magic from taking over him and becoming a White Walker. They stabbed him with the dragon glass in the heart. And so like he's kind of like a weird crossbreed of 
a White Walker and a zombie. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, and he's kind of alive and kind of dead. Like, it doesn't make a single lick of sense. Someone, it, someone help me out. It's like Underworld 2 Rise of the Lycans. It's something. It's like it, where they have the half breeds. <laughs> dude, it's the weirdest thing. He's like half dead, half alive, half White Walkers. Like, that's like three, three. Someone, someone else that you guys. Symbolism of three. We, we need somebody to, uh, kind of talk with us about this so if you have any ideas or any theories we'd love to hear them guys but no let's keep let's keep moving on through episode six here sam and gilly they are with the baby like are they're in a cart on the way to horn hill and guys if you remember like sam and his dad do not have a good relationship at all basically he told sam like listen if you stay here and try to claim your inheritance i will have you killed all right you'll go on a hunt and you will fall from your horse quote unquote and you know people die all the time <laughs> right so it's 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 it really shows me is how much Sam really cared for Gilly and baby Sam because he was willing to face his father just so that she could stay there with them while he went to study and become a maester because if you guys remember uh, women and children are not allowed at the Citadel which is an old town so what Sam's trying to do is he's trying to basically hey mom dad watch over Gilly and, and my son and even though it's not really a son but kind of at this point you know watch over like my, my baby and and my and um you know my girl. And I'm going to go study, become a maester, and go back to the Night's Watch. You know, so you don't have to worry about me. I'm not trying to take my claim my inheritance. I was like, I got orders from the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch to do this. Like, so in his mind, he's done everything he possibly can to make this a smooth transition. Like, hey, even if my dad doesn't like me, I've got orders from my Lord Commander. I've got a baby. I've got like, I've got this girl here. It should work out okay. And he's very, very wrong. <laughs> yeah. Which, real quick, by the way, jumping back to Bran, he has that vision that was like, burn them all. Remember oh, he was yeah, having yeah. a vision of the Mad well, King? Yeah, that was when all the memories were flooding back into him at all at one time. Like, the burn them all, the whole thing, and then like, the dragon flying over. Like. Yeah, it was, uh, he had that backflash that said, burn them all. And it was, you know, he had the backflash of Ned. He had the baby turned by the Night King. He had the Mad King slayed by the throne. He had the green fire that was at Blackwater Bay. Like, what was the point of that? One good point again, too. Like, that baby. What happened to the babies? Like, what happened happened to the babies, man? Like, why? We got another flashback again. So, if they, like, they only, they only not only screwed us over the first time by showing us that, like, when he touched the baby in the first place, but then he drew a flashback to that, and the babies never came up again. But again, another day, that's okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, um, they, they, but they, going back to the Tarly house. Yeah, so they arrive and we meet uh, Melissa Tarly, which is his mom, and Tala Tar- Tarly, which is his sister. Uh, you know, like they they seem super happy. Like, you can see his mom's normal, loving, caring mom. His sister was super happy. Like, you know, just they seem like a normal family right then until like, a little bit later on. So that's kind of where we leave the the Tarleys for that moment after they see sam and they see gilly and like they oh you know i'll give you one of my dresses like they're super hospitable like they they are really excited to see sam and gilly and the baby and that's where we kind of left left leave them for right now because then we go to the high sparrow yeah which i want to say one quick thing about the book real quick yeah even going back to benji which was a big point in the book when he shows up um they don't actually know it's benji and actually george R. R. martin has actually denied that it was but he's described in the book as cold hands uh so when he finds uh mira right did i get that right i always say jojen's sister because i remember jojen that died mira, yeah. <laughs> uh, mira mira and bran it never describes him as actually benji it just describes him as cold hands so it makes you wonder 
if that was even actually him or if that's something, you know, Benninghoff and Wise just decided to throw in because they were trying to go off what he said. Well, the thing is, if it, if it, was, if it wasn't meant, that's something cool that they did bring it. They, if they would have reintroduced him properly, it's cool because, like, we lost Benjamin in, like, the very first season and we've never been able to... We haven't seen his body. We haven't seen him come back at all. Like, we haven't gotten any news of him. We didn't see him dead. We haven't found him alive. He's not been anyone's prisoner. So to bring Benjamin back... It's a great move. It's just like, how about we explain it a little bit on how that happened? Or like, you know, don't just pull something out of the ass. Like, hey, you know, you're half dead, half alive, half White Walker, but not really. Right. So, uh, so yeah, and we'll get to the Night King's uh, theories later in the summary episode with Bran and all that sure. stuff. Um, but kind of going into the Tarleys here a little bit. So he sits down with... Well, yeah, we, yeah, we meet we meet Randall and Dickon. Those right. are, and so Dickon, his brother, this is one thing, because I, I always point these out, bro. The actor change. Dickon was a different actor than he was before. So that's another one. I'm writing down every single actor change that happened in Game of Thrones, and I'm going to go through them with you guys in the summary episode at the very end so you see the kind of shit that annoys me. Like, not that Dickon was a great, like, big part of the summary plot or anything like that, but, like, can we just get one person to play, like, your role throughout the entirety of the series? That'd be phenomenal. Yeah, right. Which I do want to go into a little bit on the history of Randall Tarly because I don't think a lot of people know how respected he was yes throughout the history of the kingdom of westeros stannis baratheon respected him he like was, you know that's a good you know yeah. you, you know you're doing something um but just to tell you a little bit about randall tarley uh so he wielded that sword heartstone you know that sam winds up you know we'll talk about this yeah. a little bit later on but it was actually handed down with his family for 500 years. He was actually one of the most loyal people as described in Westeros. Um, he even says, I'm a Tarly, that name means something. We're not oathbreakers, schemes, we do not stab our rivals in the back or cutthroats at weddings, <laughs> which he said, you know, back in previous seasons, right? Mm-hmm. But he was so respected throughout the kingdom, so... So the, the name of the sword is Heartsbane. Just Heartsbane, to, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't read my writing at the time. Heartsbane, yeah. But, um, one of the few Valyrian swords that we were just talking about earlier, too. About how there's only a very few right. amount. That's one of the very, very few. few. Yep. Yeah, literally 500 years. 500 it was years. Down. Uh, I mean, that that goes back all the way into Ares. Like, Danny's dad, you know, all the way back up through Aegon. But, you know, so he fought actually side by side with the Targaryens during Robert's Rebellion. A lot of people don't know that. And he was the only one to defeat Robert Baratheon in a battle. Mm-hmm. That's another one, too. Yep. Um, he actually even commanded a huge victory at what's called the Battle of Ashford, which is the only defeat Robert Baratheon ever suffered, mm-hmm. which is the one you were talking about. Yeah. Um, so basically what this was, was it's funny because we, we talk about these places a little bit in the show, um, but he defeated basically, you know, Robert's brother led an army over at Storm's End which is where he actually took them over. Uh, And then they wound up over-retreating and regrouping over a little bit more towards, I guess, the north, right? So basically the aftermath of it is Rob's army retreated to the north and actually gained, which is funny, we'll talk about this later, the Vale as an ally. Um, After they did that... And if you guys want to know how they did that, it's John Aaron married uh, Liza. Right. So that's mm-hmm. how, like, they go. And John Aaron, if you guys remember, is like a father to Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark. Mm-hmm. So. And this is, a, this is actually a big point here. This is why I really wanted to bring up this history because this will 
kind of bring a little bit of significance later on. Um, so, it forced Robert's army all the way over to Stony Sept, which is, like, very north at this point. Like, he, it was because of Randall that they were completely pushed back. Like, it was only because of him and, like, the household that he carried in the, the group of Targaryens that the loyalists that chose to follow him. And they pushed them all the way up to Stony Sept in the Riverlands, which we'll talk about later. And this is actually called Battle of the Bells, which is funny because, you know, we talk about the bells a little bit in Season 8. Well, what Battle of the Bells was, was this is where everything really fell apart. In Battle of the Bells, it was House Atari, House Atarly, House Atari, <laughs> dirty tar on a car, <laughs> right? House of Tarly and House of Targaryen was against Robert Baratheon that also regrouped with the Vale, House of Stark, House of Tully, and House of Aaron. Which, basically what happened was, they came back, right? Um, Robert's group came back, and the Targaryens tried to lead an overthrow. Um, well, sorry, Robert tried to yeah. lead an overthrow yeah. at King's Landing. Um, and what happened was... Basically, that you'll find out a little bit later, which we'll talk about in the summary episode. But it was actually, you know, Ned played a big part in that for Robert. And with the the bells that were actually there, um, basically what they did was they were able to get them to kind of come out into the open of the field and take them over in the city one by one, um, which really took... You know, really took time. But my point is for all this is people don't really understand the kind of respect Randall had throughout the entire kingdom. And this goes into why, you know, he was really on his end disappointed in Sam because I think he wanted to see Sam as a replication of himself. And I don't think he ever he ever got that because they were just two completely different people. Exactly. No, I mean pretty much spot on for what I was had in my notes here is more along the lines of that Randall Tarley was highly respected as a military commander one of the like the only the only person to lead uh, an army in battle to defeat Robert Baratheon at a certain battle um, and and he had Stannis Baratheon's respect who is like a hard-nosed guy we obviously we know Stannis from the very beginning like the fact that he held Randall Tarley in high esteem tells us one thing but on top of that like so he basically Randall brought the Tarly house name to prominence. Like they were already a big house, but he kind of took it to the next level. And what he like obviously if you're a father and you have like an heir, you want your your son to do better than you, right? So he's looking for like as his son, he can like he wants him to be a powerful military commander, like great in the battlefield, great strategic military mind, and Sam is none of those things. Sam is is slow, fat, a coward, but he's <laughs> that's a little brutal. I, I mean, no, a I'm little being, portly, factual. Yeah, like li- literally, that's exactly how he's characterized in the book. So portly. So <laughs> he, I don't think he says portly <laughs> for sure. Fat, but uh, <laughs> so the the thing is, like you know, he's but his strengths lie elsewhere. He's a great reader. He's a great healer. He, you know, he protects. He's very loyal. Like, he's got a lot of amazing qualities, right? And so that's part of the issue is that Randall Tarley doesn't really kind of like 
um, I would say, respect Sam's good qualities. He only sees the lack of what he wants to see in Sam, and that's exactly why he basically excommunicated him from his house and said, nah, you're, you're stripped of all my name and titles. You're going to the wall. And so, you know, when he comes back and they're having this dinner, Randall insults him about being fat and useless and not a man. Like, you know, writing about men better than them in books, right? And so Gilly, at this point, she messes up and slips the fat. Because, like, she was trying to defend Sam and talk about how brave Sam was. Like, how he killed a Then and a White Walker. But she slips up the fact that they went down to Castle Black. Castle Black, I apologize. And Randall, at that point in time, he puts two together and he learns that Gilly is a wildling. And from there, that blew up the entire dinner. Yeah, and I have that direct quote, actually, where Randall says... To Sam, he said, Take it. I thought the night's watch would make a man out of you, sending your life buried in books and the achievement of other men. Like, basically, he was saying, like, I can't believe, you know, this is what you've chosen. And what you've become, even after I've tried to, like, harden you up from, like, to be in the night's like, watch. Like, I've done whatever I can to make you a man. Like, yeah, and you still failed me, basically. And he basically looked at the sword. He said, you know, that, that sword's been in our family for 500 years. You will never have that sword, which is kind of funny. Which is literally <laughs> a disgrace. It's super a disgrace. It's a slap in the face. And it's in front, in front of his mom, in front of his sister, and in front of his, like, basically his wife. Like, this guy just, like, threw, like, just blatantly disrespected you. So, Sam. I mean, put this this way. I have this quote, too, of what he thought of Gilly after he found out she was a wildling. This shows how down he looked on the wildlings at this point he said i took you for a town whore and i made my peace with that <laughs> <laughs> and then he said who else would have him but i overestimated that <laughs> like i mean think of that That's like crazy. not only does he think so much less of of gilly but he thought even just as less of his own son. Yep. And even a town whore wouldn't have. You had to go behind the wall to get a girl. Like, that's crazy, man. He said, you dishonor yourself. And he dishonors. Uh, this will be his last night at Horn Hill. Like, it, it, it literally goes to show, like, I don't want you here. You completely disgraced me. Uh, you come back. Almost like someone. Think of it this way, right? Someone that's failed out of everything they'd done they never achieved their dreams they came back they made a mockery of their family they came back with the tramp like i mean that's literally what's what the way he's looking at it so the, the funny thing is here is that afterwards like he tells like sam you'll never hold the sword sam <laughs> he fucking steals the sword he steals hard spade <laughs> and takes gilly and the baby away from horn hill and he's like listen i'm gonna figure this out we're gonna go to old town old town we're gonna go to the citadel like Whatever happens from there happens, but you're not going to be safe here in Horn Hill. Like, I'm not doing this. Like, you know, and like this whole time, like his mom, Melissa Tarley, she's the sweetest girl. Like, she's upset. She's like, he's like, your, your mother's too good for you. You know, he's saying, he's saying like, your mother's too good for you. For her sake, we'll keep the, we'll keep her and put her in the kitchens and we'll make sure the baby's raised. But like, like basically saying like, they don't, he spits on them. But so Sam's like, all right, cool. You think that way? Well, I'm taking that precious sword that's been in the family 500 years dead. So fuck you. <laughs> so that kind of brings us over back to Bravos and Lady Crane. She starts talking to Arya because like she sees Arya sneaking around, and she asks Arya, you know, how many times she's came to see the play and if she's paid or not. And so she basically calls Arya out for like sneaking into the play and not paying three times. But she's very very sweet about it. 
and she just like they they have this weird connection lady crane and aria do like she's super like she's the opposite of who you'd want to kill i'll say that like if you're on a mission to kill someone and like this person just happens to be the sweetest nicest guy in the world like it's it's really tough to to kind of pull that trigger like like you've done nothing to me you've been nothing but fantastic to me like you are like the kindest soul that i've ever met like i can't i can't kill you which uh, two things it really goes into the test that Jacken gave her yeah. because think of that. Would you want to kill like the sweetest, nicest person you ever met? Go into oh. the opposite side of the table. Lady, I always say Lady Store because the book Lady Crane. I think in a mistaken way, she is seeing herself in Arya. Um, as in, you know, she thought Arya was like just this poor girl that really wanted to be an actress that came to see the show over and over and over and over. So in a way, she's almost building that personal connection with Arya where she sees a little bit of herself in her, where she's growing that bond with her, almost like a daughter or a young sister. And, you know, that's why they grow so strong in this whole thing, which winds up later, you know, the whole plan basically goes to shit so as we move on forward through that because like what happens next is Arya does save lady crane from the poison she poisons her, her rum she goes to drink it she slaps it out of her hand and looks at the, the other girl and goes watch out for that one she wants you dead which is funny because what and lady crane says we're doing her later on and like yeah you know we put her out of work <laughs> she you know she's not gonna have a hard time finding a job with a face like that <laughs> so basically yeah so but uh, at that point the waif actually sees uh, Arya save Lady Crane like as she's like folding linens or whatever and she goes back and tells Jack Nagar and Jack and gives her the green light to kill Arya but just says you know that's a shame don't don't let her suffer and she like, kind of gives him like the the nod okay fine and so that now we've got like the green light for Arya to be to be killed to killed off like this wife who has whooped her ass this entire time she's been in Bravos like like kicked her ass with like the stick uh, you know, training, just like basically bullying her in a way. Like the, now she's like, okay, now I've got, I've got the go ahead to kill you too. So really interesting how that goes. This is going to come full circle here shortly. And think of this too, because Jacken, even at this point is you almost wonder if he knows the future at all, because he even makes a statement where you almost feel like, it, 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 here's my debate on this is you know what I gotta use this card I, I, there's no getting around this I'm playing the great debate card again which is funny because everyone thinks I would play Malice in the Chalice Jack and Agar makes a stoke uh, uh, Jack and Agar Hagar, I always say Hagar H-A-G-A-R Jack and Hagar makes a statement says shame the girl has many gifts says it to the waif do you think he's saying this about Arya? Or do you think he's actually saying this to himself regarding the waif? Because keep in mind, as far as the book, Jacken is basically referred to as almost death. Do you think he knows the future and knows that the waif is going to end up with, you know, no future there? Or if that he is actually thinking this is the end of Arya? Uh, I think he thinks it's the end of Arya because he's seen Arya in training, seen Arya like struggle to make it through like what I call the Faceless Academy. Like she's been struggling since day one to pick up the game of faces, to become competent at fighting while blind, to 
you know, being a good beggar to getting coins to like, you know, not killing the people he wanted her to kill, like not wanted her, but like, he like were chosen to kill and it was her job to do so. Like he's seen her fail over and over and over again. So I believe it's just, he was just like that. It's almost like, you know, someone who has got a drug problem. He's got a lot of potential, all the potential in the world could make great things happen in this life, but they can't get out of their own way. And eventually like people close to them just give up on him. I think that was more along the lines of that thing. It's like, well, you know, we told her, you know, you will not get a third chance. You have to go, you know, now go make good on our promise that she won't get a third chance. See, I almost want to think, though, because based on the book's examples, you know, how she's basically accepting death, however it comes, however it comes. I think he's almost sitting there telling the wave, like, you know, I think here here's my argument. I think he knew from the beginning Arya would figure out this plan and he was basically telling the wave. It's a shame because you know, you had future if Arya didn't pan out. And it almost makes you wonder if I just feel like it's too plain. If Arya picks up the entire I just think you're looking too much into it like you're looking for something that's not there like, I mean I want, can see that like you want something like to be extra from that but at the end of the day like where's the where's the evidence around it you know I just I don't I just don't see it only because like he's never held any ill will towards the wave she's just been there as kind of like an assistant this entire time so I just think he was just like listen you know what we told like I, I told her myself listen like, you know a girl has been giving a second chance she will not be given a third and she fucked up her second chance Go do what needs to be done. Here's my argument, though, is the whole idea with the faceless men is they don't take death into their own hands. If they assign that person by no means at all, which is what they did, they she Jacken assigned it to Arya to Lady Crane for or Lady Stork for no reason at all. You're basically taking it was death for into your hands. You guys have to remember, like the, the faceless men, they operate on a they're a monetized group of individuals. So that lady, the girl, paid the faceless men to poison and kill Lady Crane, the, the, the actress that was jealous. She paid the faceless men so that they would kill Lady Crane. So they, they literally get paid to kill people. Remember in the book in the very beginning, we want to use book examples, Peter Baelish was talking about how they could have been killed Daenerys if they used the faceless men, but they're too expensive. So they went with other routes. So... Which I can agree with that. Then here's a question. Do you think they... We went into this a little bit in the last episode. Do you think Jacken ever expected the waif to be anything? I, I don't think he... I think he wants everyone up to the same par. Almost like... Think about like the Patriots standard for football. He wants every single player at like like to be at the same level as everybody else. Like He wants like everyone to go to Tampa. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he wants. Good reference. <laughs> but uh, no, my, my thoughts are this. Like... He, he basically wants it to where if, like, you know, you kill one, the same exact person is coming again, basically. Like, they, they've got the same abilities, the same level of skill. Like, and the fact is that she just couldn't get it down. She couldn't become no one. She couldn't do what they had like, told her, like, basically trained her to do. And so he's like, look, we gave it a shot. She knows too many secrets about what we're able to do. She's not, she's, a, like, a threat to us outside of here. We've got to kill her. So going back to season two, though. Okay. Don't forget, Jacken gave her that coin. Mm-hmm. Remember the coin, you know? Yep. Iron coin of Bravos. Volar Magulius, Volar Doheris. Right. 
Do you think if he ever had any doubts? I caught a fly in my hand. <laughs> if he ever had any doubts, catch the fly, young grasshopper. Um, my point is, if he ever had any doubts about Arya, do you think he would have given her that coin? Because they don't give that coin to anybody. Well, again, it comes down to like like what you said. He said to the waif at the very end. They're like, uh, the shame. The girl had many talents. He saw potential in her. Saw that she had like the ability to become, but just because you have to potential doesn't mean you always fulfill it. I can get on board with that. Yeah, I could. I can get on board with that. Okay, cool. Moving right along. Bang, bang, Burn that bad boy again. Throw it to the shadow Burn realm. Down Bounce. The house. Bound to the shadow realm, Dang. baby. Good, Good stuff. stuff. Oh, snap. Snap. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So. Uh, yeah, so the wave sees, tells Jack, and Jack can give her the green, the green light to kill Arya. But while this is happening, the High Garden's army arrives in King's Landing to stop Marjorie's Walk of Atonement. So, but the thing is, is like the High Sparrow is always one step ahead, right? So we are thinking that Marjorie's going to get naked and then like have to do the whole embarrassing thing that Cersei had to in do. The club and you shake my stuff. Yeah, we thought she was going to have to shake that stuff down <laughs> on King's Landing Boulevard that like Cersei had to, had to walk Somebody through. Somebody come get her. She's dancing like a stripper. That would be another sin to atone for. That would be another <laughs> yeah. sin to atone for, Chase. But no. <laughs> so the thing is, is like they had this plan like what we talked about in the last episode that, look, you know what, Kevin Lancer, you're going to stand the army down. By the time they get you, it's going to be too late. The High Guard army is going to get you know take you know, Marjorie into their custody and it's going to be all good. The thing is, is the High Sparrow is always one step ahead. So the High Sparrow actually announces that there will be no Walk of Atonement because Marjorie brought King Tommen into the Light of the Seven. And so because of that, there's no Walk of Atonement. The High Sparrow now has the support of the King and the Queen. And basically Highgarden and the Lannister army look stupid as shit. And at that point, Tommen actually fires Jamie Lannister from the King's Guard and tells him he will no longer, he will, you will serve but not here in King's Landing. And so basically what that ends up happening is he ends up having to go help out our, our you know, the, the sinister Lord Walder Frey retake uh, Riverrun because Brendan the Blackfish had put an army together by himself. Can we give this guy a shout out, by the way? Hold on. I'm playing <laughs> the Malice and the Chalice oh, card God, right now just because okay. I, it's only a quick thing off topic. That does not have to do anything with this season, and that's exactly what this card is for. Go for it. So my my thing is like, can we just give Brennan the Blackfish like I summon the malice and the chalice. It's a trap. So my point is, is this guy literally escaped the Red Wedding almost by he did it by himself. He went out to use the bathroom, saw everything was like going down, everyone's dying. He escaped the Red Wedding, like one of the only people to escape the Red Wedding. On top of that, somehow because he's he's famous, he's he's famous in. Because you remember in the books, he was actually first introduced to us over in the Eyrie uh, with Liza Aaron. Like, she, he was, like, with her. So he's famous as far as the Eyrie all the way to River Run, which are opposite sides of Westeros. So this guy is someone who's very, very well-known. And he has a very distinct features. So how this guy could survive the Red Wedding, then build an army himself to retake River Run against uh, the Freys, who had the Lannisters backing is really really impressive and that's all i really wanted to say man that's almost like oh man too bad i used my great debate card i'm gonna say it anyways who do you think is better him or peter baelish so because think of that i think baelish is smarter but i think brennan's a better leader and he, he can bring people together but the thing is it kind of falls apart at the end and we'll talk more about that here in a little bit but the fact that he was able to 
escaped solo on his two feet away from the Red Wedding when everyone knew him and like knew that he was the uncle of the person who got married at the Red Wedding. And he was able to like scour up enough people, like an army, to retake that was really is really impressive, especially given his age being like sixty something. Yeah, like, that's impressive. So that's all. We'll just go ahead and toss our malice and chalice <laughs> to the shadow realm. Burn that bitch. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, yeah. I do want to give a quick quote though. Yeah, because it. it really just show you know how Jamie is almost feeling at this point. Like, what can we do? Like, I don't have any more power. Like, yeah. I'm done. It's got nothing. He goes, Jamie shows up, and Jamie says, Every last sparrow will die before Marjorie Tyrell walks down that street. I speak for King Toman, House of Baratheon, first of his name. Then, you know, what comes out, and, you know, he's completely taken aback by this. And, of course, the High Sparrow even says, right before Toman announces that, with the whole treaty and all that, he says... You don't have the authority to take him. The gods don't recognize his authority on this matter. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just... At this point, like, what can you do? There is no more... You're basically under complete martial law. Yeah, it's exactly what you're under. You're fighting the government with the church's backing. Like you know what I mean? Like you're you're fighting like like or actually you're fighting the church with the government's backing. If you're think if you're trying to put that into like today's thing, you know how in in the United States of America we've got a separation of church and state. Well, basically it's like you put those two together and you're trying to go against them. Like you've got no you've got no power to do anything. The faith militant m- militant right or is it militia militant <laughs> militant? I always want to say militia. Um, the faith militant. I even wrote down here. It almost seems like they become like the mafia at this point. Like, Kinda. what can you do? Like, yeah. you, you... They tend to be everywhere and they see everything. Like, yeah, I can see that. I can see that correlation. They're always one step ahead. It even says, the High Sparrow said, No atonement today. Queen Marjorie has already atoned for her sins by bringing another into the true light of the seven. And that's when Toman walks yeah. down. Exactly. Like, it's... could you, If you were Jamie, could you even imagine that? You had braced up for this moment, bro. To your point right there. Remember what like that we call. I don't think he's an idiot really because he's not. He's not portrayed like that in the books. But Mace Tyrell, he looks at Olena. It's like what just happened, and he's and she's like, he won, you idiot. Like like he's like, how do you not see yeah. what's going on? How are you not following? Like literally, this High Sparrow outsmarted all of High Garden, Jamie Lannister, Olena, Mace Tyrell, Cersei Lannister. Like he outsmarted all of them with one big ace up his sleeve, which was awesome. Do you guys remember the Bring It On movie? Remember the uh, the guy that was the I've football player? It. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. You gotta watch it. Uh, one of my guilty pleasures, I would say. But this guy that's on the football team, he loses like forty to nothing, and he's making fun of this guy that's on this team with all these hot cheerleaders, and he's like. Jan's got spirit. Yes, we do. Jan's got spirit. How about you? And Jan looks over and he goes, dude, you just lost. <laughs> it's just dead silent. That's, That's literally Mace what just yeah. happened. That's Mace Tyrell. Like, like, hey, what happened? Are we good here? Like, no, you're, you're stupid. <laughs> like, No, you're not good yeah. here at all. So, you know, which now we go back to, uh, you know, obviously we could say King Tom and he fires Jamie Lannister from the King's Guard, tells him he will no longer be serving in King's Landing. And at this time, the Freys tell Lord Walder Frey that they lost Riverrun to the Blackfish, and Walder Frey orders them to take it back. And we learn at this time that Edmure, the person who was married at the Red Wedding, he's still alive, and they plan to use him as a hostage, which is pretty interesting. You know, at this point, we think that everyone from the Red Wedding is dead. And not only is Edmure not dead, 
Like he actually put a child into his wife. So now Edmure has a tie to the phrase, unfortunately, through his own son that he's never seen, which we'll learn about in a little bit. And it's at this point where Cersei tells Jamie to follow those orders and to help Walder Frey take back River Run. Okay? And so I think that's really important because like now Jamie because Jamie was just gonna fight and stay there and, and Cersei's like, no, like take your rightful place at the head of the Lannister army. Go take out our enemies at River One, and then come back when like, this is all done. Because I think at this point she was starting to plot what she was going to do, which ends up happening while Jamie's gone, which we'll ha we'll talk about here in a second. And so to close out episode six, there's really two more things that happen, right? Okay, so I wrote down exactly what we learn happens to Benjen Stark. White Walker stabbed Benjen in the gut with a sword of ice. The Children of the Forest found him and stopped the Walker's magic by taking hold by stabbing Benjen with the dragon glass in the heart. So that's exactly what. So he was dying. That's that's why I'm telling you guys like this it's he's almost like one third of each. Like one third alive, one third White Walker, one third like dead. Like it's so it's very, very strange because he was stabbed in the gut with a sword of ice. He was dying. Children of the forest found him, stopped the walker's magic from taking hold so he couldn't become a full White Walker because they stabbed him with the dragon glass. Obviously he's not alive because he's dead because dragon glass is in his heart and he was stabbed by the, the the ice thing so he's not alive but he's not dead but he's not a white walker so Which, what the fuck is he <laughs> like so did they use magic to do that shit what if john just started fucking stabbing people like, with dragon glass it's, they just randomly come alive again and like, like i think it's something to do with the children of the forest magic but like whenever and if that's the case that's cool but you've never explained like the extent of the children of the forest magic and what they can actually do which is another problem that i have and so not the, I know we kind of beat Benjen to death a little bit there in the beginning. I just wanted to tell you guys I wrote down exactly what we like learned from it from he when he tells the story. But Danny flies ahead. Now we we'll go back to Daenerys and she flies ahead of the Kalasar on Drogon back to Marine. But like before she does that, she has a really cool like like final send off of messages. And actually, we just watched it right before we started this episode today. And I actually uh, have that written down. Yeah, go go ahead. Well. Like the only thing that. Um, I wanted to just put here is that she obviously still has love for Cal Drogo because the only part of the quote, I'll let you read the full quote, but the part that I wrote down that I thought was important, she said, I choose you all as my blood riders. Will you give me everything that Cal Drogo promised beneath the mother of the mountains? And so obviously the Kalasar at that point, they agreed to cross the narrow sea, which is a big, big thing because they've never crossed the water as a, as a nation before. But I just thought that was really important and really interesting how she still has this connection to Cal Drogo. Well, you give me everything that Cal Drogo promised me. Like, this is... And I got to bring this up because I know you hate when I talk about symbolism of three, but this is where one I think actually relates, which is what you talked about going all the way back to episode one of this entire arc. She says, quote, unquote, at the very beginning of her speech, which I'm going to read this all in English or I'll read it all in Valyrian, and then I'll read it in English for you. But in English, she says, Every cow who has ever lived chose three blood riders to fight beside them. Like, think about that symbolism of three. That's actually one. I'm not yeah, making that's a good big one. stretch. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Like, it, it's, it's very funny, especially her. Like, she's the one that we've always seen carry this entire symbol through on. You got three dragon riders. You got three dragons. You got three blood riders, um, and you know you got her, Dario, Jora. Like I mean, it's just like, or or you could say her, John. I don't know if she ever even. Because she's got Dario. so many though. She's got Missandei. She's got Grey Worm. She's got Dario. She's got Jora. Like Tyrion. There's just five. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just so, like, like I don't, I don't see the three on down, but I do see in terms of the calls and their symbolism of three of having like the great call, and then like so almost like you know if we're talking about biblical sense in today's world, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. So like exactly. the, the great so call, and then like two like other like blood rider calls, right? So I see that symbolism of three there, but in terms of like how it it correlates to Daenerys at this point in time. I don't see it because she's got way too many people who are close to her. She's got Dario, she's got Jorah, she's got Tyrion, she's got Missande, she's got Great Worm. There's five people. Who I, are close I can to her. see that. I was thinking more of just her. I guess because you know Drogo's dead, but I was thinking more of just her, um, Dario and Jorah at the moment because Dario and Jorah went to go protect her. But if, the point is the three blood riders. But just to read this to you, yeah. She says, Anavo Vakakin Seedothraki Goy, Anavo Vakakin Ilayiri. That means I will not choose three blood riders, I choose you all. Al Kalafak, Alaskoi, Aziro, Majin, Yura, Marathi, Marathi, Im Adarathi, Vinkoi, Vikoi, Madarathi, Ene Avasiri, Ana Avasirion. I ask you, Oath, that you will live and die as blood of my blood riding at my side to keep me safe from harm. Then on the dragon, keep in mind this is an insane scene. Like she's, this is probably one of the best speeches I've ever heard. On a Akifak, Son Il, Yura, Elikalion, Requef, Kasarion, May. I will ask May of you, I will ask more of you than any Cal has ever asked for in a Kalasar. Hasha, Dothraki, as if I do Yamie, Asavi, Akaze. Will you ride the wooden horses across the Black Sea? Hashiri, Vedribo, Azovi, Azkarie, Mori, Masin, Verakafian, Morius. I'm sure I've messed that up at some point, which I'll have to go back through it. But will you kill my enemies in their iron suits and hand them down their stone houses? Hashir, Verzi, Ahan, Rasaris, Adali, Genazome, Kaldrogo. Asogi, As Adri, Maskarasi, Kashiraki, Vitor, Asovie. Will you give me the seven kingdoms, the gift Caldrogo promised me before the mother of mountains of the stars? Look down and witness. I'm actually really impressed I've said this that right. That's good. Yeah, you're doing a really good job. <laughs> usually, have usually, usually, have to, usually have to correct your quotes every once in a while, but you're doing a really good job here. Hashil Arakor, Melody Amadajayan. Are you with me now and always? And then, of course, Drogon roars, and that's your big scene ending episode for six. Uh, and that ends episode six. I'm not gonna lie this this moment literally gave me chills. I was like, she's about to fuck shit up. Yeah, she like yeah. We've talked about all, how every single time of where she's come from from the beginning to where she is now, and you know she's she's the leader. She's that she's that boss bitch now. Like she's got. She's got everything that she needs. She is no so. longer the Danny in season one. Oh, no, absolutely not. She's a full-blown conqueror now. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to start uh, episode seven, which is after we finish episode seven here, that would be where we're going to end up for this week before we get into eight, nine, and ten next week. Which I love what you said, because what you just said was she's a full-blown conqueror now. Yeah. And what did Dario always tell her? Yeah, you're he, a conqueror. You're a conqueror. Yeah. She conquered. She conquered the Dothraki. She conquered Yukai. She ta- conquered Asaphor. She conquered Marine. Like, dude, those are those are big things for a girl who had nothing when she started out with this entire arc, and it was her brother that was supposed to be the next one, right? Yeah. So, like, 
she kind of took destiny by the balls and went with it, right? So, yeah, good stuff. Uh, so to start off episode seven, this is something that like I saw coming from a mile away. I wasn't shocked at all to learn that the hound was still alive. Like there was no way that you were just gonna have some main character just like die off by just sitting down after her, his legs broken from falling from the mountain after he got his ass beat by Brienne. Like <laughs> I knew for sure that he wasn't dead. Like so, I, I, I figured that we were gonna see him at some point. So it was just nice to see him. In a different light, though, because he's he he's still like a mean motherfucker, but like you can see you can see that he's kind of like he's cooled down a bit. Like he because remember he kind of considered the villagers his friends when he when we figure out what happens later on. But anyways, brother Ray talks to the Hound about not knowing anything about the gods, uh, but knowing that something out there is greater than us. I thought that was pretty cool because. He's, he's like, I know nothing about the gods. And the Hound's like, well, then you're in the wrong line of work. Because basically, Brother Ray's like a preacher. He's like, well, if you know nothing about the gods, then you're in the wrong line of work. He's like, well, dude, I, he's like, I don't know. Like, maybe it's the old gods. Maybe it's a seven. Maybe it's the Lord of Light. Like, maybe they're all right. Maybe none of them are. You know, the only thing that's important is knowing that there's something greater than us out there. And so, like, he, he has a way. You guys have to understand. The Hound is the last person people are able to make friends with. He's standoffish, he's just a dickhead, he's just mean, and he's mean-spirited because of everything that happened to him as a child and his animosity towards his brother, right? And this guy has this way of just his charming and connecting with the hound. And the hound like like is annoyed by it, but like he's like he still enjoys like this guy's presence. So I thought that was super cool about how like he basically self-depreciated like you know, I, I don't know anything about the gods, but I just know there's something else out there. And so Brother Ray, the whole reason he's telling the Hound this is because he's like, hey, there's a reason you're still alive. You know, there's a reason you're still around. He's like, he's yeah, because he's like, because I'm, uh, I'm tough to kill. <laughs> he said, he says, because I'm tough to kill. He's like, no, like there's a reason. He's like, well, why have the gods have not punished me? And Brother Ray's like, they have. You know, this everything that you just went through, <laughs> like they have punished you. So I thought that was super awesome. Um, do you have anything you want to say on the on the Hound and Brother Ray, or where you, you want to go into Marjorie and the High Sparrow? Uh, the Hound and Brother, I thought it was really cool the way they brought the Hound back because this was that moment in the season. I still actually remember watching it when it premiered to this day. I was like, "Oh shit, the Hound is back!" Like this was a big moment for the TV show, um, which you see in the books a little bit, but the whole like thing we're gonna get into with the villagers and stuff never really happens i thought it was very creative from bidding off and wise and it was kind of that moment you gotta think we really haven't seen the hound in a very long time like, like a full season yeah like i mean it's and that's what was on these people's mind the whole time was because you never saw the hound actually fall over right. and die and you were thinking like the hound's dead. Like, it was to the point you're like, I guess nope. he's dead. Nope. I never thought that for a second. I never thought that for a slight second, man. Like, they, 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 I need to see bodies. Like, <laughs> I need to I see bodies. I also thought Dario was going to show up in season eight, but we saw how that turned out. <laughs> right. That, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But, my, like, the one thing I thought was cool is because they show him helping. They help, he's helping a village. He's carrying a big log by himself. That's the first scene that you see from him. So, like, he's gone from this, like, like so self-serving guy to, like, helping out a village, like, survive. And, like, he has an emotional connection to these villagers, which we'll talk about in a little bit, which is a big character development from where he started at in the beginning of this Song of Ice and Fire. So I just thought that was really cool I wanted to bring yeah. up. Um, but now we'll go over to the High Sparrow. He basically tells Marjorie to rein her grandmother in or else he feels for her safety, both body and soul. 
So what Marjorie has to do is she has to pretend that she, this is like some of the best like spy playing I've ever seen. Marjorie straight up brings the Septa with her, Septa uh, Anella, Septa Anella with her. And like basically he's talking in all these like prayer like speak and is kind of annoying her grandmother this time. But she's doing it to put like a facade for Septa Anella to think that like, oh, you know, Marjorie is like exactly what we need her to be doing right now. But what she does is like when she tells uh, her grandmother to go home, like it's time for you to go home, she slips her a piece of paper. And like, so I'll, I'll pray, I'll pray for all this and stuff. And so Olena, the, her grandmother is like thinking like, man, how did they get to my granddaughter? Like, you know, like, like this is, like, this is bad. Like, this is all bad. Like they've gotten to everyone. They got the king. They've got my granddaughter. Like they made us all look like fools. Like, how are we going to fix this? And Marjorie's like, like basically telling her, oh, you know, like go home. Like, we know everything's going to be okay here because she doesn't want her grandmother to be taken custody because that was the next step um, for the, the high sparrow. And so what ends up happening too, to go on trial when everyone's in the fucking trial room, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what I thought was cool is she slipped her a paper and in the paper it was just a rose, meaning my allegiance hasn't changed because the rose is the sigil of High Garden. So her allegiance, like she was basically telling her grandmother, like I'm still me, this is just, this is a rose, like so I'm, I'm still exactly who I am, but you need to go because I know something bad's gonna happen to you. And so I thought that was really cool. That was awesome. Yeah, that's a big moment. Um, but then, you know, you get into this point and John and the Wildlings actually agree to fight, uh, you know, take on the Boltons at this point. Absolutely. Man, like, that was such a cool quote, too. I don't know if you have it written down, and I don't have it written down either word for word, but what I remember in there, he goes, uh, Tormund tells them, he's like, Jon Snow gave his life for us, and if we're not willing to do the same for him, then we deserve to be the last of the wildlings. Yeah, that was... Like, that was super, super cool. So it just tells you... You know, guys, you have to remember, Tormund and, and Jon were, like, mortal enemies, like, <laughs> not even three seasons yeah, ago. Yeah, people forget that. And, like, I mean, now, like, he's basically pledged his life to him and yeah. helping him, so... Um, yeah. He's literally a brother to him now. Basically... Oh, actually, I do have the quote written down. I didn't even Go see that. It. Shoot, that was all the top of my <laughs> Go head. for it. He goes, he died for us, and if we're not willing to do the same for him, we're cowards. And if we're cowards, we deserve to be the last of the free folk. That's the that's the word for word. Um, I was waiting for you to say, I th- and people think you're some kind of ghost. Yeah. <laughs> god. <laughs> and then, some kind of god is the actual quote. <laughs> right. We actually had, but that was the first time we actually played like a clip over like the the microphone, came out great. and it came out great. Came out so great. That was so, that was yeah. pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, yeah, next we go back to King's Landing with the whole Olena thing. Cersei tries to convince her to stay and work together, and Olena basically just rags on her like, "Now nah, you've lost. You 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 make this mess on your own. You're gonna have to lie in it. Like you suck, <laughs> basically." Yeah, that's basically like, what happened. That was the yeah. gist. Like really, he's like, yeah, "No, I'm it's... not staying. I'm getting out of here." <laughs> Game over. Yep. Exactly. It's over. You've lost her. She's like, now you got Really? Which is pretty great. And then, so, talking about Cersei, her brother Jaime, him and Bronn lead the Lannister army to Riverrun. The phrase threatened to kill Edmure if the Blackfish doesn't yield Riverrun. And the Blackfish doesn't budge at all. He's like, go ahead, kill him. Hang him, cut him's throat. Sure. And so, like, go ahead. And so, the fact that they saw like they weren't gonna willing to do that, like that just gave the people in River Run, like more more power. Like, okay, like they're not good on their threats. And what's really funny <laughs> is that when they turn around, um, Lothar Thre- Lothar Frey goes, "Sir Jamie, we didn't know you were coming." And Jamie says, "Because you didn't set a perimeter, you just allowed eight thousand men to approach unchallenged." And Bronn goes, it's a good thing we're friends or we'll be fucking you in the ass right now. 
That's what LeBron <laughs> said. Like, so it's basically what it shows is how inept and how like seriously, like really they the phrase are the laughing stock. That they hate being the laughing stock, but they are just they're not good at anything. Like they're not good fighters. They they're always late to everything. Like they they're good survivalists. Like they know how to like stay alive. I'll say that, but they have no idea how to run an army. They've got you know they literally don't know how to put a perimeter up. They don't know how to follow through on their threats and how to negotiate or anything. Like Which they're basically I'm- like school children. It's basically like. Older brother slapping down little brother, like, hey, you know, calm down, little brother. Like, like, let you know, daddy's here now, right? That's what Jamie and Braun and the Lancer Army came to do. Like, okay, listen, obviously you guys don't know how to siege a castle. You've never done this before. You're worthless. Like, we'll go ahead and do this for you because you know we made an alliance with you, even though you really haven't held up your end of the bargain on it. So, which you actually brought up a great point because I actually have Walder Frey's history here. Um, let me pull it up real quick. But basically, it was really funny because. He was really the laughing stock of the entire of all the big houses phrase. in Westeros, yeah. Yeah, he really was. And I'm trying to pull this up in my notes. You know, what's great about this show that I really love is we kind of jump from things on the spot at the moment. Um, but basically what happened was there was this huge battle. So Walter Frey actually um he really had no respect from any of the houses and he was always seen as a coward well basically there was this huge battle that actually occurred uh with walter frey um during robert's rebellion and he was actually supposed to be there well he showed up at the very end after they won after the the victory was sealed yep it's actually funny i found it in my notes just so you have the exact everything so the battle uh so just to kind of go on this back history real quick so he's almost 90 years old he has eight wives over a hundred descendants um that were actually true born and step born uh as a young child he was described as being kind of ugly looking uh chinless short-nosed uh with a high shrill hiccup sounding almost like he had lung cancer (laughs) that wasn't actually in the book sounding like he had lung cancer i just came up with that but that's basically the way i perceived him but yeah he had like a high shrill every time he talked um he had a scrawny kind of looking neck uh and a toothless mouth he was described from the other houses as being cautious but ambitious but very high temper and very known for holding grudges um sir duncan the tall who was actually uh, he was Lord Commander of the Kingsguard for Aegon the Fourth. Uh, said I always thought he was an annoying child. Numerous times, I wanted to throw him off the wall. Like, what does that say? No one respected him. Seriously, no one respected him. I mean, that's pretty like, much. And just to show you who that was, he was literally. So Aegon the Fourth was the great 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 grandfather of Danny, and that was his Lord Commander. That was literally saying that, showing like he literally had no respect for him at all. And just to kind of go into this battle, it was actually the Battle of Trident. Um, so what that actually is, the Battle of Trident was a battle the rebels won. It was a smaller battle after the war, um, but. 
It was a smaller battle, but battles can really carry your name, especially in this realm. It was 283 AC, so after conquest. Um, and it was during the time when basically they realized it was after Battle of the Bells. So it was basically the moment when they realized Robert was going to almost take the throne. Because Ares was slowly trending down well, the, at this point. The, the long and the short of it really is that like the he he's supposed to be pledged allegiance to that to his house to the to Baratheon's house and he didn't show up and like complete like complete his allegiance in what he was called to do until after it was already won leading them to think that hey listen if the battle had gone the other way he would have pledged allegiance to the other the other houses mm-hmm. that's like the long and short of it yeah really. and just to show you exactly what battle this is this is the battle we talked about last episode where actually Robert and Rhaegar met in single combat. Battle of the Trident, yeah. Um, when all this happened. But basically he shows up and he tries to take credit for the whole damn thing. And when they knew it wasn't him, um, which this is the exact battle that Rhaegar died because of the blow to the chest where the rubies went all everywhere. Those of you all that didn't know, uh, Rhaegar's army and uh, armor and shield was decorated with rubies from the entire house. So it was like a very significant thing. But after this whole thing happened, none of the houses had respect for him anywhere. And it, it really carried his name all the way into, you know, the present day in the Game of Thrones realm. No one wanted anything to do with him. Yeah, they call him the late Walder Frey. Like Lady Catelyn like would say said that many times in season three. Like, it's the late Walder Frey. Like, he showed up late to everything. You can't if he called they called on his banners, he didn't show. But um, actually, I have a quote here, real quick. It said, Most of the family called him the late Lonel Frey because of the Battle of Trident. Everyone hated him, and they thought after the Battle of Trident, he was completely untrustworthy. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, Sorry, not to go off topic, but that just goes to show. So, Jamie actually takes command of that siege now, for like from the Freys. To, to lead back into where we're at now is that Jamie's like, you know, like, like I'm in command of this, this siege now. Y'all are going to listen to me. We're going to figure this out. He wants to meet with the Blackfish. Um, so he tells him to set up a meeting. And so while he set up the meeting, we get taken over to uh, Sansa and Jon Snow. They're meeting with Lyanna Mormont at Bear Island to try and get uh, the House Mormont's allegiance in the upcoming battle against the Boltons that they're going to try to retake Winterfell from. And if you guys remember House Mormont... So, Lyanna, so Gior Mormont was the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Jorah Mormont was his son. Lyanna is a descendant of them. So, when they were talking to her, uh, basically, they were basically giving compliments to Gior Mormont and how, like, his men respected him and how he was a great Lord Commander and things like that. Just saying these really nice things and trying to get her allegiance. And she's kind of, like, shrewd for, like, a 12 year old girl you guys have to understand Lyanna Mormont's like literally 12 years old in both the books and in the the series Um, so basically what ends up happening is she not really spits on John and Sansa but kind of kind of just knocks away their persuasion like trying like what they think that she should do like hey you know you're pledged to House Stark and she's like well listen none of you here have that Stark name and Sansa's like I do and she's like, well, I thought you were mar- I thought you were married to a Lannister, or maybe it was a Bolton. The rumors like are hard to come by up here. So basically, she just slaps Sans in the face by telling her, "You're not really a Stark. You've been married to both a Lannister and a Bolton, which are sworn enemies of House Starks." Like, 
Like, you know, who are you to come in here and like claim that you're all Stark all of a sudden? And Sansa's like, I had to, I did what I had to do to survive. So who comes through for them? Our guy, Silver Tongue Davos. Sir, <laughs> Sir Davos. Davos. And I have an awesome quote here. If you Me don't too. I want to, I want to read. Go the, for it. See if it's the same one, actually. Because I bet it's close. Because guys, it's guys the exact so same. Jason and I, like we don't, like, we don't do our research together. So everything that we're hearing, uh, he's hearing <laughs> it first from me. I'm hearing it first time from him. But are you, is this the one about the wars in between a few squabbling houses? Is that the quote that you have? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh. That's exactly what I have. So, so basically, Davos talks his way into to Lyanna Mormont's allegiance. He tells her this. He said, "The real war isn't between a few squabbling houses. It's between the living and the dead." And make no mistake, my lady, the dead are coming. Yeah, that's pretty like that gives me bro, that amazing. gives me chills just think about that. That's one of like the really, honestly, when we do our summaries, that's a quote that we're for sure going to use for this next one. Like the dead are coming. Like that's crazy, yeah, man. Like that's, that's a really amazing. good one. And so basically, what they're also going on is a divided north. They're not going to stand a chance against the Night King, but they only get sixty-two fighting men from House Mormont. So, guys, 62. I love what she says, by the way. Do you yeah, have that yeah no, you, I don't. You have that one. <laughs> she says. So, she says, House of Mormont had faith with House of Stark for over a thousand years. We will not break faith today. We are not a large house, but we were a proud one. And to give you guys a little bit of history on uh, Lady Mormont, real quick, just so you have a little bit of a backstory on her. So, she was actually named after uh, Lyanna Stark, uh, which is funny. And her uncle was Jorah Mormont. But just so you guys have a little bit of notice, the reason why you don't ever see, you know, her mom or dad was one big thing was her mom was actually fighting in the War of Five Kings uh, with Rob Stark. And she actually died there and never actually made it back. It describes her as being a great warrior. Um very skilled on the battlefield but not very pretty but just a little bit on her that's why you never really see in this show why you never see much about her family was because her her mom was actually killed fighting for rob stark which is interesting too because like what we were talking about how or a little bit earlier like the 62 fighting men what'd she say she said because like they kind of got like uh discouraged when they heard they only getting 62 fighting men and uh liana mormont she goes uh, well, each man has the strength of ten regular mainlanders. So, like, <laughs> it's just it's just interesting how like how, it's funny how she holds her house in such high regard. But uh, yeah, man. Now to take us back over to uh, Jamie and um, Bron, who are looking to uh, assist the uh, the phrase with taking back Riverrun from the Blackfish. Uh, Jamie and Blackfish actually uh, meet. Um, Brendan basically tells him to fuck off. He says, you know what, uh, Kingslayer, we've got enough provisions for two years. Do you have two years, Kingslayer? So, I mean, it's just interesting. He's really, <laughs> he, he, this guy built his own army, like we were talking about earlier, from nothing, took over this, <laughs> back, took back the castle, and is willing to be able to have enough provisions to hold it for two years against a Lannister army with Freya help. How impressive is that, man? Yeah, <laughs> really. Very impressive, actually. So, um, and we'll go into a little bit of history on him next episode. Yeah. Um, but there's, he had a lot of respect uh, throughout the entire kingdom, the seven kingdoms that a lot of people actually overlook. For sure. And, you know, now to kind of go over to Sansa and Jon Snow, now they're trying to get the Glovers to join their army, right? And so 
basically the Glovers like they insult them and refuse them. So this is like this is this they've tried so many different houses and they have not been able to have very very much success at all. So in in total, John Snow was able to get 200 Hornwoods, 143 Masons, and 62 more months to go with his already 2,000 Wildling army. And so Sansa tells John there's not enough men. And John tells her, like, we will fight with the men that we have. Sansa takes, like, one look over the army, and she knows it's not enough, and she ends up writing a letter. Now, it doesn't show, like, who's that letter, like, is sent to, but I think we can all agree it's, it's sent to Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, now over to where we were talking about the Hound earlier. Brother Ray, he's actually telling his followers about all the bad things he's done in his past. And, like, the biggest thing was he cut a young boy's throat while his mother watched. And so, like, he was basically saying, you know, like, you, you don't want to be like me. Like, there's other options in this world. Like, that's one of the deepest regrets I have. I see that mother's face and this boy dying every single day when I close my eyes. And so three riders actually approach them, basically asking if they've got any gold or food. And he's like, oh, you're welcome to stay for supper, but we've got nothing. And the three riders, like, they're very sinister. They're very, like, really like, kind of, like, skulky looking. Like, you knew they're up to no good. And the thing that the guy says as they, as they walk away, he said, seven blessings to you. But at the very end, like, Ray said seven blessings to you to the three riders. The riders as they walk away, he's like, be careful, the night is dark and full of terrors. So you know they at least serve the Lord of Light in some way, shape, or fashion. Right. And I'm actually glad you brought up that letter real quick, because I actually stopped the screen and got the exact words that I could see from it. Nice. So, I mean, you can't see exactly everything, but from what I saw, from what Sansa wrote to Baelish, it says, which she's asking for his protection at this point, she said... You promised to protect me. There's a part I couldn't see after that. But then it says, Now you have a chance to fulfill your promise. Knights of the Vale under your command, ride north to Winterfell. Lend us your aid, and I shall see to it that you are to be rewarded. Sansa Stark. Wow. Nice one, bro. That's something I would have done. I didn't catch that. Good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you wonder if there's more to it, but it, it makes you kind of wonder, like, why you think she... I mean, she just basically told Baelish off at the beginning here, like, why she wanted to... It Was it basically, like, her last line at this point? Like, last line at events, like, I have to call out to him. Which is, you know, it's really strange, too, because it's like, if you watch it in real time, like, you won't... You couldn't tell, who, like, if it goes quickly. You can't tell who, what's said in the letter and, like, uh, who it's written, written to. So the fact that you paused it and actually got the, the wording of it, it's, it's really cool. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so Arya from here, she's kind of trying to escape the city at this point when we get towards the end of the episode. Um, and you know, the old lady, the wharf, uh, winds up stabbing well, right, her, right, right before that. Cause I, well, I wanted to talk one more thing about the Ray, the, the uh, brother Ray and the hound. Okay. Like they talk about differences of how they should handle the three riders as a walkway. Like the hound says like they should go and kill him. And brother Ray's like, listen, like, I'm not like, we don't fight anymore. Like you don't, you don't cure disease by spreading it to more people is exactly what he said about killing. And so like, they are kind of at odds and basically brother Ray's like, Hey, like I'm going to go down and, and you know, we're going to get dinner. Like, do you want to come? And hounds like, no, I'm going to stay here. And he's chopping more wood. And that's kind of like the interesting thing is that what if the hound had went with him and the riders had approached with the hound there? Like, would that have turned out differently? How that would have gone? Uh, it's really unknown. So the fact that, uh, you know, he stays and chops firewood, it's really going to come back to play a bigger role because, um, 
afterwards, well, let's then let's go over to Arya, and then we'll come back to this there. Well, as you know, you know Arya is basically about to leave the city at this point, and she, she's trying. <laughs> yeah, trying. Well, that's what we were talking about too, wasn't it? Like when we were before we started, this is about like how she was just like bleeding from all different areas, like, profusely, like, like all like, over the place, and like no one's stopping to help like a twelve-year-old girl. Like no one's sitting there like, hey, like. Let's help this like shaking, uncontrollably bleeding, dying girl. All the people in the market are like treating her like she's the plague. Like they're staying right. far away from her. So I wonder what that's about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're all kind of basically scared at this point, which we wind up knowing who she runs to for help, uh, which is so so ironic about this whole situation. Is yeah, right. I mean, Full think, circle. think about it. I mean, it's just like you know, modern day. I mean. We want to think being realistic, being real here and very raw about it is you want to think, you know, someone's, you know, shaking and bleeding everywhere in the middle of the grocery store or something. Most people. Someone's going to say something, stop and help. Someone's going to say something, right? But nine out of the 10 people just kind of stand there. And like the one thing too, like to talk about how she got stabbed. So the way basically used a face from the Hall of Faces to pose as an old lady and caught Arya off guard because she ended up stabbing Arya. She stabbed, uh, she's one slice, two stabs, and a twist at the last stab to like kind of like break up her organs. So like it's really interesting how she even survived this because like that, like, like I said, one straight slice cut and then two stabs and that, that second stab that she held in there, she twisted the knife. And if you guys know anything about that, the reason people twist a knife is because it's a jagged cut and it's not something you can stitch up and heal properly. It's It, it, it ruins like, you know, the organ that it goes into. So it's really interesting that she even survived in the first place. But yeah, I thought it was really sad that like nobody in the entire city wanted to help this poor girl. Like yeah. she's like <laughs> shivering, like cold, bleeding out, like pale, dying. And everyone's just like, yeah, get away from me. She really is. Like imagine someone that literally has the worst flu ever, like fever. Like she's completely bleeding out, sweating everywhere, shaking, literally walking as she's uh, bleeding out her guts, like just everywhere like all over her hands all over her clothes and people are just sitting there staring the entire time right and so now to go back to the hound that we were just talking about too because from there it kind of cuts back to had the hound go making his way back to the camp thinking he's just going to get some stew like whatever he did his duty with chopping the firewood he goes there and sees all of the villagers are slaughtered and that brother ray is hanging by his neck from the structure that they helped build so like literally like he's he's frustrated and mad at this time because he knew this was gonna happen and he wasn't there to help defend them. So he like grabs the axe and just runs off, and that's how it closes out um, episode seven. But I, I thing I want to say about that is just funny. It's like that's you. This guy obviously meant something to you, but you just kind of left him hanging on the structure. You didn't cut him down or anything like that. He just left him there. That's ironic. And so just <laughs> left really, him hanging. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow. So I just I just found that a little interesting. Someone but, went there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's exactly how uh, episode seven ends, and that's how we'll conclude um, today's uh, yeah this week's episode for season six, part three, episodes five, six, and seven. And just think about that for a second, though. Like I mean, he whoever the hound winds up getting really close to, he winds up just leaving. Like first, you know, he had Arya. And then she just left him there. And now he has Ray. And, you know, he has to just leave Ray there. You can even go back to his history of, you know, Clegane, the mountain. 
you know, burned him in the face and then he had to just leave all of King's Landing. Like, it's just everything that Hound is really known to get close to at this point, he's just had to leave. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, this kind of wraps up. Uh, yeah, this next this next part and uh, yeah, what was it today? It was so episode? it was it was season six, part three for us here, episodes five, six, and seven. Yep, yep. So awesome, and guys, you know we always do this every time uh, we close out on our podcast. We want to thank all the viewers every single day. We grow weekly, actually, we grow daily by the numbers. We've actually got some really great uh, news to share. So Chase, talk, talk a little bit about the email that we received and, and what uh, that meant to us. Yeah, this was really cool. I uh, you know, I check the inbox uh, pretty frequently, both Josh and I do. And it was funny, because I was actually just looking to go to my personal email <laughs> to fix something up for work, and I came across it, and yeah, we hit uh, number 112 in Canada uh, for fiction last yeah. week. And, that that's a big deal and that's a and a testament to you guys because you know we wouldn't be here today Dude, if it wasn't for y'all think about it too man of all the millions of podcasts that are done you know the top of the top to people just throwing stuff out there sometimes like in the few short months we started this in january in a few short months we're at we're ranked 112th i think that's really impressive um, you know, and it's, it's you know, not only the hard work that we do here, but the fact that, you know, we know our episodes are long, but you guys stick with us, leave us amazing reviews. And, you know, you, you guys deserve all the thanks in the world for the success that this has, you know, brought into us and an extension, um, you guys as well. So, yeah. And I, I think that's part of it. You know, even though they get long, we're not going to rob you guys of the content y'all deserve. And, uh, we're going to keep bringing it to you because that's what really sets us apart here. You know, me and Josh, talk all the time and debate all the time yeah. you know anyone can give a synopsis on an episode that just happened you can go on youtube and look up the entire game of thrones in 30 minutes but you're not going to get the perspectives from the characters you're not going to get the debates that we give you you're not going to get the history or the synopsis that we talk about that really compares and contrasts it to the books and we're that's, not going to rob you guys that's of that what we started this whole thing for and so we'll leave you guys with that there uh so next week, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the last part of season six. So it'll, ta- it'll tackle episodes eight, nine, and ten, and then we get into the uh, episode or the season seven and season eight, where there's no books as a background; it's just full bending off and Weiss going at it, and we'll uh, uh, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, and enough, I gotta man. tell you guys, it's been a hell of a ride yeah. on this thing. This Game of Thrones, like we we thought initially, it's going to take us. Uh, eight episodes well uh, that went out the window fast but uh, until next time guys thanks for joining us here at the Ridiculous Crew this has been a production by Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy signing off (laughs) 